This is Jacob, launching in the OverMangaCast. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga. Our heated adventures overanalyzing manga we find interesting. Confirming target as Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam, Volumes 1 through 3. Written by Yoshiyuki Tamino and illustrated by Yuichi Hatsugawa. Let's do it! Hello everyone, my name is Sam, and welcome back to the Over Manga Cast. As always, here at the top of the episode, we like to talk about what our familiarity with the franchise is. Uh, normally I would start off, but Jake, yours is going to be the longest. Go. <laughs> I have always been a big Gundam fan. Back when uh, Toonami had just uh, become a thing on Cartoon Network, the, the two big shows that were on it that I watched were Gundam Wing and uh, Dragon Ball Z. And uh, I have always been a big lover of Gundam ever since. I have uh, successfully managed to track down a lot of the hard-to-get-in-the-state stuff for Gundam, and I actually um, have seen most of the Universal Century's, like, animated stuff. Uh, the only thing I haven't watched fully is Not a Fan of Victory Gundam. Literally couldn't sit through all of it because I don't like it that much, but <laughs> I had actually heard a lot about Crossbone, uh, both in the sense of I knew that Crossbone was the bridge between F91 and Victory, and also in the sense that, um, like, there were a couple of games that had, like, spoiled certain elements of uh, Crossbone's plot. Like, there are things that get revealed very early on, but, like, I did know, like, for example, the pilot of the main Gundam of this series, I knew who he really was before, you know, before I even saw him. Um, even though he gets originally introduced by a pseudonym. So I knew I knew uh, a fair amount of elements of Crossbone, but I had never actually experienced Crossbone itself and really wanted to because I'm a big fan of F91. And hey, if Crossbone's awful, I can just pretend that F91 was the last thing that happened in the Universal Century because that would actually be a pretty happy ending for that incredibly sad timeline. <laughs> uh so that's that. Um, for me, uh, I hadn't consumed much Gundam, actually, until I met Jake, funnily enough. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> since then, I've seen what he has prescribed, or most of what he's prescribed about the Universal Century. Uh, and a few of the other timelines, I, I was a fan of Double O, at least for a while. Uh, <laughs> like, through the first season, mostly. Yeah, I have consumed a fair bit of Gundam, but I'm not as deep of a fan as I know uh, Jacob is. Uh, Jay, how about you? Um, sure. So comparatively, I am a complete uh, Mobile Suit Gundam noob. Um, kind of got introduced to Gundam when it was, I think, just casually airing on Toonami back in the day. Um, I had followed Gundam Seed and um, the original Gundam Win. So... That's kind of how I got introduced. That's how I got involved in mech anime in general. And that interest has persisted. However, I did not, you know, get too super in involved with Gundam, but that might change. All right. And Matt. So as far as Gundam goes, I've watched all of G Gundam. And I have been told by many people I've talked to, uh, the reasons I like G Gundam are probably the reasons I'm not going to like anything else in the Gundam universe, which, um, in my experience, has been true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. G Gundam is a good series, and 
is a Gundam series and people who say otherwise are silly. It's very tonally different from almost everything else. That is the perspectives coming into this as we open up our adventures in Crossbone Gundam with a, a space pirate attack, which immediately had my Metroid brain go, ooh, but there there were no uh, space dragons, unfortunately. No, they take space They're... pirate a lot more literally. <laughs> <laughs> They're very piratical. They, they, they go full golden age of piracy pirate with it. I will say it's one of those ones where one thing that I had heard about Crossbone Gundam that was sort of like the, the sense of, hey, if this is bad, I can just pretend it doesn't exist and the things that follow don't exist either. Um, I heard that it was very silly and I get where it gets that reputation from because, like, the main mobile suit, the Crossbone Gundam, has a beam cutlass. Like, that's it's... Not even, that's not even the stupidest thing about the main Gundam, but we'll it, get there. Um, well, and it's... Well, it also it also has, like, one of its ranged weapons looks like a flintlock pistol. But the thing I kind of liked about it was, well, strictly speaking, it's obviously overtly leaning into the Golden Age of Piracy stuff. They did do... A, it's a good aesthetic. They did do a decent job of justifying why the things look that way. Like, um, uh, like uh, I read the technical file on Crossbone Gundam at the end of one of the volumes. And, um, you know, it's one of those ones where it's like, did you need to lean that hard into the, into the pirate aesthetic? No, not, not at all. But they do justify, like, why it has the big X on its back. Which, you know, I, I, I like it when if you've got an aesthetic that you're leaning into, at least have a justification for why it goes that far. I like how uh, that even showed up, like, in the manga. They show why that big, like, bone, it's literally a crossbone, like, it's that. Yeah. But they show it's because that's how it connects to, like, the rockets are propelling. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You explained this arguably very ugly design choice. Um <laughs> It's extremely goofy. I, I, I think it's, but I think it's, it's aesthetic, fun. but yeah. I, I will say one thing that, um, thankfully, they stopped doing it after Volume 1. Um, I think the Crossbone Gundams look really ugly from behind. Oh, yeah. Like, and they do so many behind-the-back shots in Volume mm. 1 in particular. I'm just like, okay, Why? I've seen what the front of this Gundam looks like. Maybe focus more on that, because currently I'm seeing that the X takes up so much real estate, and it's, it's an X. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's fair. And it does look pretty cool from the front, even with the giant X there. Uh, it, it's got a freaking cape. Come on. <laughs> well, you see, the capes <laughs> reduce beam voltage, or uh, it, it catches uh, beam shots, I think, is what it said. It's a light cloth that has an anti-beam coating on it, which is something, mm -hmm. something that's technically existed, I think, since Zeta. They're coating it in cloth, and then by putting it on a material that has give to it it's the same concept as the ceramic armor from the f91 where because it has give it dissipates impact and because the beam weapons in gundam do technically have mass because they're um they're the byproduct of the reactors that mobile suits use the they uh use Minovsky mm -hmm. particles mega particle beams do actually have a like kick to them so the fact that it's on a cloak dissipating some of the impact actually helps protect the suits internals and also, yes. they get to billow in space and look cool, which is probably more so why. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, they just look ballin'. <laughs> see, see my previous comments about how I like when they justify their aesthetic within universe reasons. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but uh, the scrap with the space pirates is uh, pretty brief, uh, just to you know give us an introductory shot of our uh, main Gundam before we cut to a group of exchange students from the Earth sphere who are coming uh, to Jupiter in order for uh, for like an exchange program, and uh, Jovian students will be going uh, back to Earth. Yep. And our main character, uh, one Tobiah, it's like N A U X. New, no, I don't super, know. Super very, edgy. Some, some kind of <laughs> new type person. Yes. Mm, mm. <laughs> he's he's very excited to be here. You know, we're given a brief rundown of, oh yeah, welcome to Jupiter. We're uh, six billion kilometers from Earth, and uh, you're now. Uh, we, we have this picture of this clearly not evil, definitely not a dictator president. <laughs> that's our leader. It's totally fine. Don't don't the, worry about the it. The amount this series loves going. This person isn't evil, but he is evil because this happens <laughs> multiple times in the three volumes we read. <laughs> Be, check out this giant portrait of our of our great leader, Crew uh, Crew Dogatai. Jupiter's so that. nice to us, except for when they show each other their hands and have secret meetings behind closed doors and talk about us. Completely hierarchical, like society, where if you were below a certain rank, you were basically dirt. I hear they've got like ranking numbers uh, tattooed on the backs of their hands. Holy crap! Here's the space Nazis for this. Uh... For this war. For factory model Gundam fascists of the week. Shouldn't they great guys? Except there was an error on the production line and we accidentally got two of them. But we'll get that. <laughs> yeah. I, I will uh, have words about the situation with that character. Oh, good. We can have the same words then, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably same opinion, but for different reasons. But we'll get there. Most certainly. Yeah. You know, all the all the kids are really excited. We're gonna go to Jupiter. You know, I hear they're very uh, I hear they're very strict about the use of air and water here because they don't have a lot of natural resources. I'm sure this won't come up later when some chaos erupts on the ship as there is a stowaway who is being uh, chased by some guards. A young girl. Well, she she claims that she's not a stowaway, which we find out much much later that is technically correct. Correct. But um, she, of course, runs right up to our main character. And it's like, I'm not a stowaway. Help me, please. Don't let them take me. Before that can get resolved, uh, we get a uh, uh, another attack from the pirates. And I got to say, this is the first time we get uh, some good looks at a lot of the mobile suit designs. And one thing that I really liked is, um, as much as I'm not a fan of Victory Gundam, I won't go into why because that's not what we're talking about. I did really like the designs of the mobile suits because you can really see the transition from like like the end of the early Universal Century uh, style mobile suits, like um, uh, suits like the Jagan or uh, the uh, Giradoga, into the suits that you would later see in Victory Gundam. Uh, the Crossbone Vanguard and the Jovian, um, like they're they're like scratch built mobile suits, have some like specific features that you'd later see in Zanskar Empire mobile suits. And then also, of course, there's the uh, element of the Universal Century where um, after the F-91 was deployed during the Frontier 4 incident, almost every mobile suit uh, was a formula type suit. So the fact that they're smaller, faster, kind of on the fragile side, but uh, extremely agile. I, I like seeing the transition of the like technical designs and like where like Zanscare, for example, was getting some inspiration for their more like insect like mobile suits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few of those like that, particularly among the Jovian models. Mm -hmm. The the Crossbone Vanguard's mobile suits are kind of what you'd expect from a Gundam series. Like they've they've in fact got two Gundam type units, the X1 and X2. 
One of them is black. Uh, Guess what the evil yeah. one is? We haven't gotten there yet. Um, I did like uh, the little uh, self-awareness moment as one of the unnamed uh, exchange student kids says, "I or there's like a conversation of, I hear the space pirates have a Gundam. And it's like, eh, anything that's got uh, I two eyes and an antenna. And an antenna, the media calls a Gundam. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, what counts as a Gundam and what does like like the Gundam Mark V doesn't even have two eyes, and mm -hmm. Gundam is in its name, yeah. so is that a Gundam? Like, it is kind of arbitrary. Yeah, it's particularly a, in the it is a very self aware joke. Yeah, yeah, particularly in the Universal Century, there are no rules on what is or isn't a Gundam. I mean, just show it to me, and I'll tell you whether or not it's a Gundam. I'm yeah, actually the authority. Yeah. Ah, I see. <laughs> Of course, of course. Japan's but, got, um, Pandai's got a direct line to Jay. Is this a Gundam? No. <laughs> In fact, I, I right. think you've made Doraemon. <laughs> we do that every time. <laughs> we really do. But we have okay, so this is a this is a Gundam series. That means that our unqualified uh a uh, young boy protagonist needs to get into a mobile hey. suit and get involved in a fight. Hey, 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 and hey. He's not unqualified. He's driven he's, for he's driven forklifts before. He can pilot a tank. <laughs> he's forklift certified. He, what are you doing? You're not a pilot. I'm a mechanical engineering student. <laughs> this is the single most egregious example of this because every Gundam series does this. But at you but usually, at the very least, the the protagonist is related to the person who designs the Gundam. This guy is literally just a mechanical engineering student. <laughs> like he's he's forklift certified like to be to be perfectly what used to be like a combat mobile suit in the one year war by this point in in the universal century is basically a piece of a construction equipment so like the idea that he would know how to operate a machine like that it's not totally outland but it's it's so it's such a <laughs> It's such a stupid it's a justification for why he gets to he gets to be the protagonist for this I, series. You're not even related to Arno. I, I just love how I knew Tobiah was a new type right here in this chapter because of his insane psychic power of things just going his way, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I can pilot this no problem. I've driven something similar before. Like, oh no, I'm in danger. I sure hope nothing uh, that no one could have possibly known I was in danger saves me. Oh no, I'm in danger. I sure hope these uh, brutal space pirates aren't actually pacifists with a no-kill rule. Yeah, Tob Tobiah lucks out a lot, and I think that's the entire point, so I don't. I The tone of this manga is such that I think that's the takeaway. And for like the longest time, <laughs> I wasn't sure if this was a parody of Gundam. Because you've got those lines of like, ev the media calls everything that's got two eyes a Gundam like... Okay, so is this like a parody Gundam story for like Gundam fans? Or is are they trying to do something? Obviously it veered away from that, but like occasionally it'll just bring it back in weird ways. And I'm like, I don't know. It has the same sense of humor that Double Zeta does. That was <laughs> that was what I took away from it. Um, I see a lot of connective tissue between Crossbone and Double Zeta. And uh, a lot of Gundam nerds out there are gonna be like, oh, so that's a, a condemnation of Crossbone, right? Well, um, here's the hot take. Double Zeta's better than Zeta, guys. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Um, having <laughs> moments of levity so that the moments of tragedy actually have a meaningful impact is kind of important. And, you know, tone management is a thing. I actually, like, liked Crossbone 4 being very similar to Double Zeta in a lot of ways. Um, and that's sort of like, it's not quite a fourth wall break, but that's sort of like tongue-in-cheek 
like feeling about it definitely is the kind of thing that you would expect from that series. <laughs> His forklift is destroyed and Tobiah, thankfully, the pilot of the Gundam says, get out of the suit. I'm going to destroy it, but not until you uh, evacuate. And he just kind of floats back to the back to the transport ship and he realizes, oh, they're actually doing this with everybody. All the pilots are getting away despite the mobile suits being destroyed. That's that's weird. I didn't expect that from pirates. Anyway, I'm going to climb into this uh, cargo bay now and poison gas. They label their poison gas canisters with giant poison gas labels, like some kind of cartoonish supervillain. Damn it, Universal Century, stop gassing colonies. You need to stop. Hey, 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 they're not gassing a colony. It's not a colony, it's the home base. <laughs> they can't get it if we gas ourselves. So I, maybe this is me not understanding Gundam. How... How does one poison gas the planet Earth? Uh, just because this plan has been done multiple times before, what I assume their actual plan is, is that they were going to gas colonies and then colony drop cities. And that would, like, destroy the, the Earth government and then they could go in and, and claim the, it. The way the manga portrays it, I thought they were just smuggling enough poison gas to Earth to, to poison To gas Earth. the entire planet, yeah. That that's definitely how the manga portrays the play. <laughs> it's loosely phrased that way, but given that this is the Universal Century, I'm I'm under the impression that they're gonna they're gonna try to pull a Zeon. And I mean, they do just stop short of saying Zeke Zeon at one point. Yeah. So, but um, Tobiah is having this moment of, oh God, what what horrors await me? I should go find someone I trust. Oh, Professor Karras, how good that you're here! Oh, you're holding your gun to my head. Ah, yes, the the professor was actually evil and and a space Nazi. Bias is like, what a terrible thing! If I find out anyone else close to me is secretly a space Nazi, I don't think I could possibly handle myself. <laughs> then over the next two volume, no. <laughs> <laughs> I will do anything that President Kurodogatai wishes. I will sacrifice my life for the great Jupiter Empire. But uh, because Tobiah has halfling luck, he is uh, saved by the Gundam. Who, who smashes the part of the ship he's in. I assume they knew the gas was there is why. And he's just... Yes. Yeah, they knew the gas was there. And here's the other thing that's worth noting. You know, it's one of those moments that's there for a Gundam nerd like me to notice. We know for a fact that the uh, at the very least, the X1 like like by this chapter, because we also see X2 doing this as well. But we know uh, by before this point in the first chapter that the X1 is equipped with a biocomputer because we see the faceplate flip up and um, it's mm -hmm. uh, streaming out heat and psychoframe light. So the idea that the pilot of the uh, of the X-1 knew what was going on inside that ship is actually pretty likely because the biocomputer was literally built to do that. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is he waited for a dramatically appropriate moment to slice the room in half, because I think I like that better than... Yeah, yeah no, that I, was like, like, yeah, no, uh, the pilot of the X-1 was literally waiting for a dramatic moment because the biocomputer is built like that. God damn it. New types are just built like that. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't think he is a new type. I'm not sure. I'm certain Jake would have a more uh, cohesive answer to that he question. He said he's not, so I think that means he secretly is the best one who's ever existed. It's sort of interesting the way that the characters in-universe interpret, interpret new types, because based off of the breadth of the Universal Century, 
basically everyone is a new type. It's just how awakened to your new type abilities you are varies. Like everyone has the potential to be, you know, to be more and more awakened. So like if you spend time and space, you're probably going to start developing new type abilities to some degree, especially if you're in stressful situations. Which a mobile suit pilot would be. Which is why a whole bunch of mobile suit pilots are new type. It's less so that um, being a new type makes you a better mobile suit pilot is that if you're a mobile suit pilot, you're probably going to start developing new type abilities. What like came I, first, the chicken or the egg? And and like, I know that I know that there, there are some people who have that argument against, you know, like the special s snowflake new type thing, but it's like the way that they imply how it works. And like, this goes all the way back to the original MSG. Like it never outright states it, but the way how it's implied that it works is that everyone has the capacity to it. It's just, you know, who, you know, survives long enough to awaken those skills. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, we will find that the uh, the pilot of the X-1 is someone who has been through a lot already. Yep. But uh, Tobiah is uh, saved by the pirates and uh, taken onto their ship, the Mother Vanguard, which is, it, it, it's a tall ship, but it's in space. And I love it. <laughs> I love it tall spaces in space. It has a figurehead of a stone <laughs> woman. <laughs> It has a figurehead. I love it. Uh, I like uh, the crossbone Gundam. The Mother Vanguard pushed me a little bit. It didn't break me. <laughs> Mother that Vanguard. was as close as it got. Does Gundam have solar sails? Because that's typically how you justify great the age of sail in space. I think I the implication is that this is the first solar sail Gundam mm -hmm. Universal Century warship. Okay. Up to this point, the pilot of the uh, X-1 Crossbone had his, like, visor covering his face, and he introduces himself as uh, uh, Kinkato uh, New, but um, I have so much of a hard time remembering Kinkato because he is so obviously, and they, they reveal this in the very next chapter, so I'll just say it now, it's Seabook. <laughs> It's obviously Seabook. Um, this is one of the things that had actually been spoiled to me. I knew that Seabook and uh, Cecily were in Crossbone Gundam. Hey everyone, it's me, your favorite nth dimensional host from the distant future, Editing Sam, here with a public service announcement. Throughout the rest of this episode, Jacob will continue to refer to Kinkido and Bera as Seabook and Cecily, respectively. While this is technically correct, it is not what Jay, Matt, and myself did. So, for the sake of clarity, I will be editing Jacob to say the correct, air quotes, names for the remainder of the episode, with some minor exceptions here and there. I'm sure you will notice no difference. And now, on with the show. So, when the visor went up, it's like the art style is different, but it's still pretty obviously Seabook. The one thing I find weird is, though, is that we know his birth name is Seabook, but like, like no one ever slips and calls him Seabook. He's still Kinkato the entire time. Yeah, like people will like say his name in like a an excited moment, like people who would know what his birth name is, and and no one ever slips on the name, uh, which I find kind of weird. I don't know if that's going to come up later in the series or not, but um, uh, I see I, that he had a meeting ahead of time, and he basically chewed them out and said, "This is my name, and you're going to have to adhere to that." You, you should respect people when they decide to give you their name because they're the ones who decide that. You don't get to yes. tell them what their name is. Yes. <laughs> Clap, clap. I'm just I'm just surprised that it never comes out in like a like a moment of like surprise or concern or whatever. But so um, I, I I had no idea this guy was an existing thing, but it makes a lot of sense because his character design looks good throughout Volume One, which is a rarity. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the When I started this, the art style almost immediately threw me off because I'm like, the mobile suits look good, but when you do people... They looked bad, but then like volume two and three, they're fine. So I'm they, wondering what happened to one. They look very cartoony and off model. They're kind of blobby in one. Yeah, I do think I do think to some extent that it that does have something to do with like the comparison I made to Double Zeta, where the meta humor is definitely strongest in volume one. So I I, I feel like that that might have been like uh, perhaps the intention was for it to be a more overt parody, but they, you know, uh, Tamino continued has, taking it more and more seriously. Yeah, Volume 1 has some panels that straight up look like they were, like, storyboarded rather than drawn. Like, it looks like they'll just have, and here's a sketch, and then we're moving on to the next thing because it's not a Gundam, so we don't have to draw it well. I'm like, okay, maybe Volume 1 was to sell the series? or So, actually, yeah. Volume 1 wasn't to sell the series. I can explain this. I have some writing issues with uh, Crossbone Gundam that are entirely about the fact that this is the second pitch for a full-length F91. That is where a lot of the series problems come from. When Yokiyushi Tamino was making the three original Gundam seasons and the Shars Counterattack movie, in his mind, that was like the first era of the Universal Century. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to move on to a new era with like new protagonists, like the same history, the same iconography to draw on, but a somewhat clean slate character-wise. And uh, he intended to write a full-length series for what would ultimately become F91. Unfortunately, the because um, Char's Counterattack was so much cheaper to produce than uh, the other three series, because it was a movie, not a full-length series, obviously it would be cheaper. But because it sold very well, the producers, who very famously will intermittently screw over Tamino, demanded that the next thing he make be a movie, too even though the next thing he really wanted to make was another full-length series because the story he had in his head simply could not be pared down to a two-hour movie. So he basically made F91 as a two-hour pitch to, if you let me do the full series, all the things that obviously got cut out of this will, you know, be explained. And a lot of Crossbone is... If there are places where it feels like particularly Kaneko, Thera, and Zabine feel like they have missing character motivations, it's because it got cut out of F91. Crossbone, particularly Volume 1 of Crossbone, but all of Crossbone in general, is a second pitch by Tamino saying, please let me, let me make the full-length F91. And Sunrise, please let him make the full-length F91! <laughs> Apropos of nothing, a lot of the weird of F91 and the places where it feels like it's a storyboard or a pitch for something else other than the manga itself is because it is. It's a pitch for the full length F91 because there's a non-zero chance that uh, that a full length crossbone anime would have followed a full length F91. Indeed. And uh, that does actually explain a few things. Uh, again, we we will get to Sabine. We'll get to Sabine because I've got even more words about him in particular, but he's not shown up yet. But uh, history lesson out of the way. Our uh, main boy is now introduced to uh, the Crossbone Vanguard uh, space pirates, including uh, Kinkido uh, Stroke Seabook, the ace pilot of the uh, Gundam X One. We have uh, Sabine, our shark clone of the series, half the shark clone of the last ones. Because he's only got an eye patch instead of a full mask. It's it's a visual joke in an audio medium. I realized my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, Captain Barra, who has a parrot because we're leading into the pirate aesthetic. Barra. Why do you have a parrot? This is another one where this is totally not a spoiler to say that Barra is Cecily because in F91, you actually, she's referred to as Barra Rona about 30% of the time. One of my proudest possessions is I have a copy of F91 on DVD and uh, I decided to rewatch that. So I had forgotten that they just mentioned her, her like birth name is Barra Rona and she's just using that name. Also, I can't help but notice I find it kind of sad. Uh, this will only make sense if you've watched Victory Gundam, but I find it sad that she's still cutting her hair short. I think it looks good. It looks great, but it's it, it's a sad thing. Her cutting she's her hair have, is a sad thing. Uh, she's got to have her mom cut for this series. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's how the series treats her. Uh, she is kind of mom-like, yeah. Also, I like the parrot, because the parrot, I can only assume, is shouting things annoying fans of Gundam say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do you know Shogastable? <laughs> At one point, at one point, the parrot calls Barra Matilda because she does kind of look oh. like Matilda with the with the shortcut red hair. Look, with the amount of times that people change their names in the Universal Century, I'm surprised we can keep any of it straight. Tobiah is introduced to the Crossbone Vanguard. They are fighting the evil Jupiter Empire, which are seeking to uh, attack the Earth and take it over in order to harvest the bountiful natural resources there, because uh, surprise, surprise, space ain't got a lot of resources. Uh, putting a colony around Jupiter is uh, gonna require some uh, very lean living. <laughs> There's and not air we, on Jupiter. That's a shock. As we've established in deep space, there are precious resources. There is a very limited amount of air. There's a very limited amount of water. Anyone who would use those resources in some kind of extravagant fashion would be some kind of monster. Anyway, we skip to a shower scene with uh, the, <laughs> the crossbow gut. This isn't yeah. the most egregious part, but the second time her bathroom shows up, it's immediately after we have people's like dehydrating to death in a hospital on Jupiter because they don't have water. Meanwhile, she takes a very luxurious bath. I I'm not going to yeah. lie. The view notwithstanding, I didn't need either of the shower scenes. It doesn't make her character look good. It makes her look aloof to the suffering of what she's because she's definitely out in deep space. She should not have water either. She's getting it supplied to her, obviously, but... Yeah. I went through that the water was going through some kind of filtration system and it was being recycled. Yeah, it was probably being recycled. And it's still a waste is the thing. It's going to sound like I'm I'm defending it, and to some extent I kind of am, but also I don't particularly like either of these scenes either. Um, but to, to give a little bit of context, for one, the original Mobile Suit Gundam uh, had scenes that were very much like this. So, so to a small extent, this is a bit of a reference to the series roots. That doesn't take away the implication problems, but as to mm. the implication problems, one thing that's important to know about Barra is that she was the granddaughter of the Grand Duke of Cosmo Babylonia, who were the antagonists of um, F91. So she is also a space noid princess. Mm. And like the idea that like she's, I, I don't think it fits her character circle where she ended at F91, but the idea that she would be like aloof to the suffering of others is not, like there's, I mean, there's connective she, tissue there. I just don't like what it says about her character. She, she has to have two guards on her private bathroom. Like it's, yeah, it, I, it, it comes off bad. She is literally a scion of space aristocracy. So it like, it makes sense. It makes her, it's a like black mark on her character. I think it provides a bit of uh, interesting 
uh, depth to the character, but I, I will uh, talk more about that later. Yeah, to, to a large extent, in all honesty, the thing mm -hmm. I like least about it is I wish something like that happened in F91 because that would be such a good character for moment for her there. But given what happened in F91, and this references F91, she should know better by this point. And like, it mm. bugs me because again, this is a pitch for the full length F91. And I, like- I'm gonna tell you, Jacob, my reading of this, I did not expect her character to know anything. The way they treat her in this is not someone who's is knowledgeable. Not, yeah, no, it's not. They treat her, they treat her like she is like act two of her, F91. Her her subordinates directly hide information from her because they don't think she can handle like Yeah. I mm. did not like her character because it's like, oh yes, we've got a strong woman in power, but because she's a woman, we need to hide the realities of war away from her. And I'm like that. You've created a really strong female character in a super misogynist way. I know I know the scene you're referring to, and I, I will have something to say about that, but that is the general attitude that they treat her with, and it really does feel like Act 2 of F91 Cecily is in Crossbone, which bugs me. Mm -hmm. I like her character in a vacuum, but because I am more aware of the context, I think I know why Sam likes Sarah in this, but also... I also have the context of what she's already been through up to this point, and it's, it doesn't jive. I don't like her in a vacuum, so we've got opposite sides of the <laughs> That's coin fair. There. That's fair. <laughs> uh, a wide uh, spectrum of opinions. But uh, anyway, our boys are cutting potatoes while their captain's bathing. Um, that's where we left off uh, summarizing-wise. Gotta, gotta earn their keep. Because... They because that's what flat. you do that's what you do when you're on a navy ship is you cut potatoes that's yep. that's why they do it um, yep making that making that little connection there because we're we're doing pirate we're pirates tropes. we so do obviously. pirate tropes that's what we do <laughs> yeah piratical things you know this is a general you know introduction to the crossbone vanguard we learn a bit about uh all of the principal characters going forward if you have watched f91 hey seabook and cecily why are you working with why are you leading the crossbone vanguard they almost yep. killed you 35 billion times in the movie you're from and Kaneko explains that Thera. they used the name basically to attract people to their cause Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Crossbone Vanguard was a military unit of Cosmo Babylonia, and they have decided to adopt the name because, I mean, hey, brand recognition. We already made yep. these Crossbone toys. We need to sell them now. <laughs> uh, so there's a minor scrap to basically, again, show off how cool the, the Vanguard and their mobile suits are. And as Part of one of the missions, we have an interesting moment between, and, and again, I have not actually seen F91, so I didn't know a lot of the context. Um, I just knew that uh, Sabine is obviously super evil uh, <laughs> and that he and uh, Kinkado have a kind of history. Uh, also, I, I mean, given that hair. Given, yeah. given everything <laughs> about his general aesthetic. Do not trust long haired guys in Gundam. It just does not work. Yeah, you're not yeah. wrong. I know you were going on your mission alone, but I couldn't let you do anything alone because I know you're going to betray us. What? You don't trust me, your best friend? I guess this is his voice. Uh, your best friend? That's, that is the exact opposite of his voice because he's a character from F91. And here's another example where, oh boy, the things that got excised. 
because I got words <laughs> about Zabine. Zabine is so much more interesting in um, F91 because he is presented as someone who is an adherent of the belief of that the aristocracy should rule. Like he's very strong in that belief. And so he's got that sort of like negative association. But at the same time, he's also the single most honorable, not good guy character, or actually not even that, uh, even the Federation less so. He's the single most um, honorable, not uh, like, like the single most honorable military character on either side. Um, and he so clearly had way more to do in uh, F91, but the movie just ends with him um uh helping clean up the bad guy faction within cosmo babylonia and then the you know the narration explains that a civil war broke out within cosmo babylonia because some of them didn't like how far you know the 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 main villain went and then now here he is in uh crossbone he looks 15 years younger 10 years later and has a completely different personality in his stock villain character there's no connection there he like i literally had to look up that it was the same sabine and it, it bugs me so much because the way he is here is he is such a stock bad guy. And it's so yeah, obvious he's going it, to betray the group and everything. It's insane because they even have um, Kinkido just like have to go, I know you're a bad guy and you're going to betray us. And he's just like, but we're a Gundam story, so I'm not going to tell you. And everyone else is going to like me. Mm, okay, but when you betray us, that won't happen for another volume and a half. Okay. Um, like I sent out this un this barely trained child in our mo in one of our most powerful and valuable mobile suits simply so I could make you think that I wasn't on the ship. See, but that was a really stupid decision. I don't I, know I why. Think, I think everything he does is an incredibly stupid decision. We'll get there because his entire betrayal plan does not make sense to me. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Kinkido does send Tobiah out in the X-1 because he's like, hmm, I don't trust Sabine. And if Sabine's alone on the ship, he's going to pull some stuff. So, hey, kid, you want to fly a Gundam? Do I? <laughs> why is the X-1 flying so wobbly? Wait, why is Kinkido in the hole? What, what the hell is going on? Wow, I can hardly believe this. My direct subordinate's not telling me something? Oh, no, well... <laughs> Uh, well, Barra, we will, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, yeah, there, there is one particular scene that, uh, is the most egregious example of that, that I'm going to have a pretty strong defense for, but yeah, it is, it is a problem with the way that, it's a problem with the way the series treats her character, not with her character, her, so like, I, onto herself. I guess this is a question I had reading that I might have just missed. Why don't they tell Earth about the poison gas? Why are they doing this pirate style? Who Sarah is? Like, for, for one, she's supposed to be dead. Even onto that, she was technically, because of how the um, Cosmo-Babylonia Civil War went, she's basically head of state of the biggest threat to the Federation. And the Federation is pretty famous for not being particularly tolerant of space-noid threat nations. Oh, a space-noid princess is coming to tell us about a massive threat? That sounds an awful lot like you're just trying to get close to do that threat. So uh, we are going to shoot you now. Have a nice day in hell. I feel a little better about not picking up on that plot point then, because that feels like that's a little background justification that's not necessarily told to the reader. Uh. It's loosely implied, but if you don't have the context, 
context of the rest of the Gundam franchise. The way I feel it would play out is that they would treat Sarah like she's a zombie. If she were to go and explain that Jupiter is doing this thing, and that would probably result in her getting a, like arrested and stuck in a gulag and not being able to do anything at all. It's yeah. it's a big part of the reason why she faked her death in the first place because she was under no illusions that she'd ever get any help from the Federation, and they're the only they're the only other authority that exists. So they have a battle with a uh, mobile armor in space. To buy a beef sit for a while before it can get out. It's like, well, I've got the crossbone, uh, like jetpack thing. The core so, fighter. Uh, the core fighter. Eject the main unit. The core fighter will go in, and uh, I will finish this fight by being cool. So, um, do uh, fights against mobile armors always look like? like really detailed Gundams fighting geometric shapes. <laughs> Kinda. Okay. Cause there, there's a lot of what we read where the action scenes felt like eighties toy commercials where they're like, pew, 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 and smash through like a, like brick wall. Like, yeah. it's like we hit a bunch of squares and circles and I'm like, cool. <laughs> I think that a lot of the like mobile suit versus mobile suit battles looked pretty good, but uh, yeah, that, that is kind of a, uh... Some of the action paneling I found difficult to follow. It 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 really was like the glamour shots of the mobile suits looking cool after doing a thing. I'll, that I'll tell you, my biggest problem was the speed lines. This thing, this manga mm, loved yep. speed lines way too much to the point like it it detracted from the art. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I I understand that these these speed lines are supposed to be able to help me follow the course of the action, and I it is doing the opposite. What the hell? Yeah, I I didn't really notice it, and I think that's because um since all of these are formula type suits, it's supposed to be like these things are 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 just so fast that it's hard to track with the eye. But yes, as punishment for this insubordination, Tobiah and Kinkido are going to be sent on a very dangerous mission where they are to infiltrate the Jupiter space colony and discover the location of President uh, Crew Dogate. Again, I'm I'm only like 60% sure I'm pronouncing that name right. <laughs> Japan loves uh, its pseudo-French names. And if you're Matt in this situation, you're going to turn the page, get to the next chapter, start and be a few pages in going like, wait, did I miss something? Hold on, what? <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this just, I, I felt like I was lost. And then I got enough pages in to be like, oh, wait, no, we started in media res. Midway through yes. a plot isn't in like there was no like transitional phrase. It was just straight up in media res, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> what the the start of the mission? Yeah, yeah, because they yeah, they then like... justify the mission like after a few pages because it's them like after they've been attacked, they've been captured. The plan is um Tobiah fakes being having been captured by the space pirates and calls for help. Fleeing, I thought that that was obvious. one of their mobile suits. I thought that that was obvious. It's like, you're going to do this infiltration mission. And then the next uh, chapter starts with some Jupiter forces around an oxygen gathering base. And, uh, hey, there's unidentified mobile suits approaching. What's going on? And transmission from Tobiah, like, I I'm, I'm fleeing the space pirates. I I've gotten an injured Jovian with me. Please help. Get them off my tail. Yeah, I thought that that was... Uh... Okay, I guess I, I don't know what's going on then. The point being... The Jovians uh, fight away the uh, space pirates. It, definitely, they won that. They didn't. Uh, <laughs> they didn't 
uh, have a plan to pull away or anything. Uh, there is the element of uh, we get the kind of character that Zabine is supposed to be of uh, Lieutenant Burns is almost able to give Zabine a run for his money with a mass production or, well, a technically a commander type mobile suit. Oh, I, I see. Yeah. They they lose the battle immediately and then they're captured when the plan was just infiltrate. Okay, I see where I got lost. Ah, uh, okay. And then they explain it. the plan was fake getting captured afterwards, which fair. But yeah, uh, Lieutenant Burns, this character is introduced. He's a member of the Jovian forces and he immediately dives in to help the uh, the fleeing prisoner, air quotes, and uh, actually does some uh, pretty severe uh, maybe not severe, but he he actually gets some shots in on Zabine. And uh, there's a uh, extra booster equipped to the X2, and he's able to destroy it, which was not part of the plan because mm -hmm. Zabine is very displeased about this. What do you mean I got shot? Ah, crap. Okay, well, uh, retreating for real. Bye. Good luck. The infiltrators are uh, taken into the Jupiter uh, space colony where Tobias gives his sob story. And uh, so you might be asking, where's Kinkido in this situation? The injured Jovian air quotes that Tobias had is actually Kinkido with some fake hideous burn scars on his face. It's like, oh, you better not take those bandages off. It's, it's real bad. He was hideously tortured. He's, he's got like a synth mask on or something, too. Is, is, yeah. Like he, yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> the thing I find interesting is this is not something that Gundam had ever like had a thing for is later they explain he changed his fingerprints. OK, Kaneko. <laughs> oh, I thought he burned off his fingerprints. They just say that he charged them. Uh, maybe, yeah, he he says he changed them and it's not the first time he did that. And it's like, oh, all right, <laughs> friggin uh, Gundam characters and changing their names yeah gundam gundam as a sci-fi series tends not to have like a lot of like fantastical medical technology we will get to that don't worry this is like 70 years after the future of uc 0079 so you're leaning on your sci-fi which you normally don't do and i can't help but notice but okay i mean does gundam normally delve into the criminal element that hard it really doesn't, because, I mean, I guess the closest we'd, we we would have gotten would have been, like, the Junk Guild with uh, Double Zeta. They were almost immediately went from, like, members of the Junk Guild, which was only, like, like it was barely illegal, if that, to being, you know, basically AUG conscripts. So, yeah, there isn't a lot of cases where it does that sort of thing. But maybe, like, face masking thing is something that exists in Black Market, because that's not something that, like, war... Yeah, soldiers wouldn't normally have that. Yeah. Like spies yeah. maybe, but most of the spies that you see in Gundam are usually like civilians that got press ganged by the Zeons or things like Which that. Which is significantly easier too. Like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then uh, then we get the justification for why this scene happens and I kind of lost track of this plot here, but uh, a while ago, sorry, I was looking for like an amount of time, but that's all we get is a while mm -hmm. ago. Uh, yeah, there's a little flashback uh, after they uh, are like partway through their uh, infiltration. It's like, all right, you've got this injured guy here. We're going to take him away to get some medical attention. Well, can I go with him? I, I feel responsible. Okay, whatever, kid. And they're on an elevator and Kinkido uses this, uses this as his opportunity to uh, knock out a doctor <laughs> or a doctor, a guard. I don't know. He knocks out it a guy. It doesn't matter. He's in a suit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. A doctor guard. Yeah. He knocks out a guy, replaces him on the medical gurney, 
and is like, all right, now we're going to continue our uh, intelligence gathering mission. And now we will flash back here. It, it ended up doing the same thing, but not in a way that I expected. Uh, we mentioned earlier that the Crossbone Vanguard uh, under Barra has a no-kill rule, but it's like uh, they take prisoners uh, after battle because they don't just leave people floating in space. Uh, but their uh, actual, the actual way they deal with these prisoners is uh, they will then eject them in normal suits out into uh, known Jupiter Empire patrol routes, which apparently has an 80 to 90% success rate of the prisoners being picked up by uh, Jovian forces and essentially, you know, yeah. taken back. Meanwhile, uh, Tobiah and Zabine both share the same opinion on this of like, why don't we just commit war crimes? <laughs> why don't we just shoot all of our prisoners? I'm like, buddy, no, you, what? <laughs> That's not why you take prisoners. The problem here is Zabine because that is basically the, the attitude that he has. Though the concern that Tobiah has more is they're making a point of not hitting cockpits and not completely destroying mobile suits, which is pretty freaking hard to do. Because if you hit the center of mass of a mobile suit, you're either hitting the cockpit or the nuclear reactor that powers it. So if you hit anywhere on the body, you're probably going to kill the pilot. What the Crossbone Vanguard has been doing is they've been aiming for limbs to prevent the mobile suits from being able to attack and being able to move. And that is way harder and way more dangerous for the Crossbone Vanguard pilots. And Tobias' thought process is, like, return prisoners who do survive, but, like, should we really be pulling our punches against the space Nazis? And he's not even necessarily directly in the camp of we should just kill them all. More so, like, he's thinking, like, isn't this kind of Sisyphusian? They're just going to come back and fight us again. Right. And then that's when, unfortunately, Zabine decides to be a supervillain. And I'm, I'm just saying, if you want Zabine to be your supervillain antagonist, stop making his opinion the correct one. Because really, every time he suggests something, it's then showed to be what should have been done. Like, it's weird. I will explain why I disagree when we get to the scene I know you're referring to. My thing was, I thought, uh, okay, so you're spacing these people. Yeah, they're in a patrol route. Space is still huge. <laughs> yeah, spacing them does not seem like the best way to be giving the prisoners back either, but I guess whatever. I, I thought that it was going to be revealed that like, oh no, they actually just float in space and, you know, suffocate and die. No, um, it's revealed as our heroes are making their way through the colony, our heroes such as they are, that the prisoners are in fact retrieved and then executed by the authoritarian government because we can replace soldiers, but we have such limited resources, we can't replace mobile suits. We, you should have protected those units with your lives. We also post these executions on public television that I assume everyone is forced to watch because all the TVs turn on to show this broadcast. And I'm like, thank you for broadcasting your enemy's propaganda. I don't, you're, you're certainly a cartoonist supervillain at this point. I, Gund yep. Gundam space Nazis for you. Well, I'm sorry. This, this scene is actually immediately after uh, they get discovered, right? Because this is playing yeah. while the like drones, I guess. I don't know what these are, but they open fire on an office of civilians to maybe kill two enemy spies. Uh, not yes. civil. I'm sorry. This is a military colony. They are office workers, not civilians. Mm. But that's actually worse. But, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're still firing on their own people to maybe kill two spies. And it 
it, it it's you know to show the i, uh, I do not understand how the jupiter empire works after this like it yeah, it's hard random space nazis okay cool i i don't <laughs> this 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 scene lost me um obviously a lot of people aren't are, aren't okay with uh what's going on but burns actually explains why so many people don't just rise up against the establishment they don't have the resources to do anything about it they're they're stuck in that situation. If they were to try to fight back, the amount of air and water that would be lost, and the just the the damage that would be done to the metal boxes that is the only thing keeping them from the vacuum of space would be too great. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like maybe getting to Earth is the only you know maybe following this crazy guy and getting to Earth is the only way we can get out of this situation. It, I mean, it it dials it up because it's fiction, but like this is how radical ideologies do spread amongst people. Yeah, Burns basically says, "Oh yeah, our government is authoritarian and and terrible." Yeah, we know that. We're not idiots. You think we don't know that? But hey, hey, uh, small child uh, Gundam protagonist character who is from Earth. I had a son about your age. Uh, he was forced to work in the uh, oxygen extraction facility because that is how shorthanded and short of resources we are. He died in a factory accident. When he was a teenager. Like, it's the one-year war all over again. And and because Tobiah has, like, like super advanced Stockholm Syndrome, the second he hears an ideology, he's like, wait, maybe that's the correct one. Conveniently, he has a memory of his parents' next chapter, which reverts this, like, little uh, episode he goes through, but... I, I I got hit with a 15 year old boy uh, wants to wants to be a hero right now. And I'm like, OK, cool. He does have a moment of it's like, why are we fighting these people? They're they're uh, suffering so extremely. It's like it's like, yeah, we're we're fighting to destroy their authoritarian governments. Like have your crisis of faith later. Let's get considering from my reading. I didn't know why they weren't just talking to Earth, period. I was also wondering why they were fighting at this. Like, I'm like, yeah. no, he has yeah. a very good point. Why are you fighting? Yeah, yeah that is fair. The, the Universal Century, it flows so much better with the context of what comes before. If it's, the entire thing is squabbling over resources, I get that. But then Jupiter's part of the Federation. And the Federation is legendarily corrupt. Okay. Yes, mm -hmm. that's why. That's why they're kind of on their own. Okay, so then, as, as you know what? I, I'll switch positions. Jupiter's the good guys. <laughs> that <laughs> is the wrong answer. I, I, I haven't heard anything wrong, and Sabine's been correct all the times before, so. Here's the sort of truth of Gundam. The Federation of the big factions is always the lesser of two evils, and usually the actual good guys are the victims who get shoved into the conflict sideways, which is kind of what the Crossbone Vanguard is. The pirates are the good guys. Yeah, the Federation is not the good guys. The Crossbone Vanguard are the closest you get to good guys because even though they know that, and like, like there's the whole thing about prisoners that they return are um, are executed. Summarily executed um, on public television. Like, I'm but sorry, don't worry. but- we know that's going to happen because we're doing that for propaganda is the cross guards. Seabook specifically says that they are not doing that. Well, Seabook has his own opinion, but that's clearly not the like another member of staff says that is why they're doing it. So they're also not telling. And this is this is another case where the context of F91 is important because I am like 99% sure that Sarah does actually know that's what's happening and is actually the one not telling them that she knows for their sake because that's the kind yeah, of thing that Kaneko would miss 
but that's context from F91. And if you don't have that, then you don't have it. I'm just getting to the point. I'm realizing I had no chance of understanding the series then. I, cool. Yeah, it is very much the case where um, most of the Gundam TV shows will have enough context for you that you can follow the general plot. But because this is so closely tied to F91, yeah. I'm saying when you change two of the characters' names, it's no longer a sequel then because you would just keep their names. So if they've got different names, that implies that knowing their past shouldn't be important to the story. But what you're telling me is every like conclusion I'm coming to is wrong because of here's backstory from two other series I should have done my homework Which, on. That is a flaw of Crossbone, absolutely. Your criticisms are fair of Crossbone standing on its own. It's just there is reasons for it. And if you if you do do it in order, it solves a lot of the problems. But then how do we tie this into the nexus of for Matt and I who have not read 91, we're reacting to the source material we read. Yeah. The same way I do everything we read. Whereas if I'm expected to have like supplementary material, too bad. Like I, yeah. if you're asking me to read a book, I shouldn't have to do homework before I read it. I'm consistent yeah. with that with every piece of, I'm like really big on this with like prequel movies. Like it should be a good movie on its own too. Like, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely a fair criticism of this. Yeah, and and it is a it is a flaw of Crossbone in that regard. Uh, again, I didn't have the context of F ninety one, so I I uh, understand a lot of uh, the conclusions that Matt is coming to. You'd you'd have no way of knowing that Bera is perceptive enough to recognize what's going on, and that D book is the one who's wrong. You'd have no way of knowing if you haven't watched F ninety one, and that is absolutely a flaw of Crossbone. Not like, like, it's mm -hmm. not a defense of Crossbone. That's a flaw of Crossbone. It's also as not, a standalone it's story. almost as if they like put hints to the contrary too, because you'll like the scene with the captain and how she decides to just like, I'm stressed out and there's new supplies. I need to bake bread. If you know nothing out, that comes off as like super vain. That comes off as like so out of touch. It makes her look so bad considering I already wasn't thinking that great of her with like the bath scenes. Mm -hmm. When she then needs to, I need to bake bread with the fresh ingredients before anyone else on the ship can have them. I'm like, oh, okay, princess, like, I don't. That's another case where that has context associated with with it that is not in Crossbone itself. I wasn't going to directly call it out because I obviously do know the context, so I really wouldn't be able to, like, catch it as well. But one thing that I like about most of the Gundam shows is that with the exception of Unicorn, you can probably see most of them and it doesn't have this problem. But obviously, like just from what Matt's been mentioning, like every every criticism he's leveled at Crossbone as a standalone story is absolutely 100% valid. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, for, you know, the Gundam fans out there know that there is also that context, but that doesn't make it a better standalone story. One of the things that I, I don't think we've actually directly mentioned it in our, in our discussion yet, uh, but the thing that is being brought up about what Barra does and does not know concerning the returned prisoners is there's the whole scene of showing the execution and Kinkido says to Tobiah, yeah, we figured that this was happening, or I figured that this was happening. I didn't tell Bera because uh, I didn't want to, like, sully her idealism. And I'm like, homie, no. <laughs> that is a dumb idea. That's a stupid let's, decision. Let's not tell the captain of our ship crucial battle information mm -hmm. because we want yeah. her to remain pure. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. It, it, again, you know what? I'll I'll just say it now. I do like Bera. She is a, a particular character trope that I like, and that is a person coming from privilege with a good heart and good ideals, and then is suddenly shown that just having a good heart and good ideals does not fix problems. Problems are always going to be more complex than more complex and probably bloodier and more painful to deal with than you are expecting. Do you have the courage and the strength of heart to see your ideals through? That is the crux of that character type. And I, I enjoy seeing the answer to that question. And I am, I would like to see if Barra does have that uh, strength of character and that courage. The real problem here is Crossbone Gundam onto itself is basically writing around ever forcing that decision on her i am guessing mm-hmm. because i have seen f91 that is going to get revealed later that that Barra knew all along but like that is i am inferring that based off of f91 not anything crossbone has said i didn't know uh about the connections with f91 i didn't even know if this was a sequel or a prequel so i didn't I like I knew these characters had backstories. I didn't realize that the backstories so revealed already. Oh, revealed, revealed already. Yes. That- anyway, they they uh, com- we kind of skimmed over the part where they complete their infiltration mission. Uh, they mm-hmm. got the information they needed, and th- yeah. then they had the fight in, in with Lieutenant big... Burns, who gave his whole like, "Don't you understand why we're doing this? We're the real victims." And I'm like, you know, Burns, you're actually right here. Um, yeah. I think I've been convinced that uh no I I'm I'm on Zabine's side currently. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm on I'm uh, on Zabine as he has presented himself before. Uh he goes off a deep end at some point. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to we'll get to that. I there is very much the situation that the that the um the people of Jovia are absolutely victims here uh at the very least if not the good guys but also they're being led by a space Nazi. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, that's usually how it happens. Yeah, there is actually a confrontation before they run into Burns again, uh, where they run into uh, evil professor again, uh, Karis. <laughs> this um, is the least Gundam sequence yeah. in the entire thing. Because yeah, he have... turns into a ninja. This guy has grenades on him at all times. And I, I thought it was stupid the first time. But when he does it again, I laughed so hard. <laughs> Yeah. Apparently he is a uh, well-known agent of the Jovian Empire that Kinkido has fought several times before. They have their little uh, knife fight and his... They have their knife fight on the train and he's got a garrote and is like moving so fast. He's wearing a James Bond suit too. He's moving so fast it's almost like he's teleporting because he's become a ninja apparently. It is the least Gundam part of this whole thing and kind of funny for it. The way they actually win is that um, before going on the infiltration mission, Bernadette gave Tobiah a lucky charm, which was a necklace. And in the fighting, the necklace pops out of his shirt and Karas uh, recognizes the necklace. And this shocks him so badly that Kinkido is able to zero G kickflip him off of a train. (laughs) And then we get the grenade. 
and then grenade. Oh, my favorite part about the Jupiter space station is uh, if humans grow up in zero gravity, they build their environments to be around zero gravity because having artificial gravity has no benefit to humans at all. I, I would, I, I kind of expected the little Jovians to be a bit more deformed if they live in zero I, G. I just loved how their definition of zero G environment means diners can have seatings on the roof of the diner and then the kitchen remains identical. And I'm like, buddy, how do you flip burgers? I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> very carefully and with great skill <laughs> it is it is sort of the it is sort of the interesting element of uh, this is definitely a tone thing because um, we're still in volume one i believe at this point or no maybe we're we're getting into volume two now i think i think yeah we get it oh volume. no this is this is the start of volume two yep. so there is that sort of element of like normally gundam takes living in space a bit more seriously than that there is the element of I like it's a diner, but with seats on the my, ceiling. My favorite part is some fridge logic I had about the diner was when I was like thinking about it later was, um, wait a second. Their resources are so scarce to the point that they count the number of breaths each person breathes. But apparently they've get, just got an unlimited supply of burgers. Like, <laughs> they can just casually sell those. Gundam Stan will defend and say that the counting the number of breaths was probably not literal and the morale and of of something comfortable like a diner. But yeah, no, that is absolutely like the first thing that you think of. <laughs> you got you got burgers in space. You don't got air in space. That's that's obvious, isn't it? Well, air is rarer than burgers. <laughs> <laughs> you can just go to McDonald's and buy a burger. You can't go to buy McAir. There's no McAir. In space, no one can hear you supersize. <laughs> they find the information they get shot at and there's a cool action set piece there's a, this manga loves action set pieces i assume gundam loves action set pieces. oh yeah so yeah that's fair. yeah i will say one thing that i found kind of interesting is one thing i was expecting going into this is like gundam is sort of legendary for it has the the mobile suit battle and then it's like you get a couple of section seconds of action scene then a uh, uh in cockpit shot of one of the mobile suit pilots having a philosophical debate with the other, and then an action, and then a couple of sections of action sequence, then the other pilot having a philosophical debate in return. Uh, they didn't really do that very much most of the time. And I think it's because a couple of panels is a couple of seconds. So it probably paces out the same way when you, if this were to be animated. Um, I, I also got the vibe that this manga, as much as like Gundam the anime is an advertisement for models, the manga didn't feel like that at any point. So I feel like it had more room to breathe with things. Like yep. it, it, it didn't need to justify its existence, which why Gundam does action philosophical dialogue, because thinking about something does not cause you to have to draw new panels. The interesting thing about Gundam is that it always does has, have that like really contentious like relationship with its toyetic elements because the desperate balance that it, that they try to strike. Like the UC timeline up to this point and like wing, I think, I suppose if you were to criticize Double Zeta, I think it does get a little bit it, like it's one of the more toyetic series. Gundam has always had to fight that balance. And I think most of the time the story has won out over the toyetic elements of things, because usually they can justify why is there a new gun plot to buy? Because it's a new model mobile suit that was developed by one of the sides to counter this other mobile suit. You know, like most of the time it can smooth its own issues over but um the action figures banging together elements um were probably less like hovered over because this was a manga 
Mm-hmm. So they could just do they could just do whatever the story needed. Save the cover more. pages for when you sell the manga, because yeah. God, do the cover pages love doing full body front facing shots of the Gundams in and ways all... you could pose them in a model. And they all oh, look yeah. really cool, and I love those ones. <laughs> but, um, uh, our heroes are are uh, fled from Jupiter and now returning to the Mother Vanguard with this crucial information to make a. Uh, a telling strike against the Jupiter Empire. And as this is about the halfway point of our reading, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back, folks. Yep, me and Jacob are going to go cool off because I'm sure we're going to fight in the second half. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> maybe, but maybe not, because uh, <laughs> we'll, oh, we'll, we'll be, have words. Will this be a rare time we agree? I'm excited. We can both be angry. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I th- I think Jake's prediction is going to be well, right. You're going we'll to be, have the you're going to be angry about the same thing for different reasons. For totally different reasons, yes. But yeah, uh, more after that. We did also skip over the guy saying that he was in the one year war. And I'm like, dude, you're definitely not 70 years old. Stop lying. You were hey. definitely not in the one year hey. war. We don't know. I mean, he might have a great skincare routine. <laughs> Apparently a thing in this universe. Yeah. I mean, they have huge, they have huge mechs. I fully believe they have that technology. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show, folks. <laughs> Where we last left our uh, heroic pirates of the Crossbone Vanguard, uh, such as they are. This is a Gundam. Nobody's a hero. Gundam's a hero. Gundam is the hero. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) It is I, John Gundam. (laughs) 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 But uh, Tobiah and uh, Kinkido had just escaped from the Jupiter space colony and were returning with the uh, floppy disk that had the crucial information of the location of the uh, president dictator of the Jupiter empire. Yeah. Almost a thousand and, years in the future. We still store everything on floppy disks. Yeah. I was, I was just going to yep. say that I love it when I love it when old series like Gundam do this, where it's like friendly reminder, this came out in the seventies. I mean, <laughs> star Wars is great for that. Cause it's like, check the hollow tapes. I'm like, you're, you're recording this on tapes? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have FTL. Why are you using tape? Gundam and Star Trek are the two that have the most close connections, but like because they're all from the same era, they have a lot of like fun interplay with each other metatextually. Crossbone has a lot of connections to Star Wars, like first, like the original Star Wars. It's mm. got very, it's totally very similar. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we learned from these tapes that, or from the these discs, that uh, Dogate is somewhere in a military base on the moon of Io, uh, one of Jupiter's many satellites, and uh, that is where they are going to launch their final attack to destroy the Jupiter Empire. What volume are we in? Volume two of six. Yeah. Okay. This is definitely not the final attack. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The protagonist hasn't gotten his own Gundam yet. We can't end already. Exactly. It is, exactly. It is sort of interesting. I will say one thing that I, I like about this series is that they do manage to balance Kaneko and Tobia 
as as like uh, dual protagonists. You have Kaneko, who is like the 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 professional trained mobile suit pilot veteran who's like you know survived a war and almost single handedly ended it. And then you have the new fresh faced you know starry eyed you know insert yeah. Gundam protagonist here. Like um, the one thing I'll I'll say I like about Tobia is I I made fun of him because I think he's got like the weird new type power of like always lucking out of dying. I am so much more forgiving of that than I've never piloted a mech before, but I've killed 40 men on my first time. Like, he doesn't do that, and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he he's up against Kaneko, and he gets bodied in his first battle. As well he should. There is a brief uh, moment of resupply where the Crossbone Vanguard's allies from uh, from Earth, I guess, deliver them a whole bunch of munitions and rations. Uh, no mobile suit parts because they're using, like, decade-old models and also they're designed for deep space. And why do you think we have parts for this yeah. in the Earth's sphere? Come on. So hold on. I, I want to confirm this. From my reading of this, I understood they haven't been making new mobile suits because they've been in relative peace. The only person making new mobile suits is Jupiter, a member of the Federation, who the rest of the Federation is just cool that they've been stockpiling weapons. Probably not telling them they're building mobile suits. They're okay. probably not sending inspectors because it's the Federation. Well, I, I, I think they still are doing like some mobile suit development, though, because that's why they have engineering students doing yeah. like an exchange program. So I think they, they're making tractors, but they also have a tank division, and it's just convenient they're the same thing. Uh, yeah, no, that that is yes. very much what's going on. It's absolutely the situation of like it's peacetime, but you know, uh, like there are also factions within the Federation. Those don't really come up in Universal Century, but other uh, Gundam timelines will have that be more prominent. But like, there is just like internal development. We're updating the we're updating the fighter jets, you know, U.S. Air Force style. It's just it's going so much more slowly because there's not an active threat currently. The last conflict that happened in the Universal Century timeline up to this point was uh, was the Crossbone Vanguard's attack on Frontier 4. And that was a terrible conflict that I think killed close to 6 million people. But it also lasted about five days and was almost immediately put down once the Federation got off their asses. It wasn't even a real war. It was an insurrection that got put down quite quickly because, you know, people were kind of tired of space Nazis at the time. Um, yeah. So, when you've had three of them so, in a row. Yeah, the 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 most recent full-scale conflict wasn't even the one in Unicorn, which technically hadn't been written yet, but was actually the one from Char's counterattack. That was the last real full-scale war, and that was in, like, UC 0093, I think, and we're in... Um, 113. Uh, yeah, 113. So it has been a it's long time. It's been 20 time. years. It is. It has been a long time since the boogeyman of the Universal Century has been around to incite mobile suit development. It's actually kind of weird. Uh, the F ninety one getting developed a, a, as quickly as it did was almost entirely to break the the mobile suit development monopoly Anaheim Electronics had. You know, it's sort of interesting to see uh, the F ninety one was clearly the basis for the crossbone. So, like seeing the design, the shared design characteristics is is kind of neat. You know, things mm -hmm. like the face guard popping up and the the way it vents heat and things. Yeah, where were we? Oh, right, resupply. <laughs> Jacob went on a, on a real deep Gundam War <laughs> trip, and we uh, lost track of time. Um, <laughs> I'm used to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't lie. It's true. 
<laughs> I've, known not- Jake, I've known Jake for many years. He is a good friend of mine. I am used to this. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, point being, they're not getting more mobile suits. They have enough pilots to work with, but they don't have, um, it's not just that they don't have mobile suits. They're, they're running low on spare parts too, but like. So any battle damage is proving to be uh, a lasting problem, but hey, they've got enough, uh, missiles for a while and some more anti-beam capes. So they have the drip. (laughs) More importantly, they have fresh flour and water. Yes. And uh, Captain Barra goes to make some bread. Uh, Kinkido says at some point that her family ran a bakery before the whole war thing. So, uh, I mean, okay. That's that's all the justification Crossbone has given you. So uh, we'll move on. Um, Yep. (laughs) Like like with a lot of other cases, sure wish that uh, Crossbone gave the context because that's way more meaningful than uh, Crossbone lets you know. Mm -hmm. But we do get a much more... uh, in-depth character scene uh, where Bernadette goes to bring some lunch to Tobiah, who's resting up after the mission. Uh, He returns the necklace that proved to be so important, and she uh, reveals that it's a a memento from her mother, who was born on Earth, and had told her all about the the green fields and lush forests and uh, flowing water of Earth, and she just wants to see that beautiful, bounteous land. Was this the scene where they come back conquering heroes and... Uh, Tobiah and Bernadette almost go into the alleyway that, um... Yeah, that, uh, Bera and Kinkido are using to make out. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. That's, that's what's happening then. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he gives the vaguest answer possible when Tobiah asks him, he's like, are you two lovers? And he's just like, I'm not gonna tell you we aren't. <laughs> and I'm like, why Don't would you me. say that? Because Don't it ask- gives you an obvious answer. <laughs> Don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to, kid. Boy, it's it's a common refrain, but that is so in character for C-Book circa F91. Uh, I, it, I'm not going to say that uh, talking about this series with people who didn't have the prior context is like lessening my opinion of Crossbone because it was clearly written with the intention of being like, you know, part of the rest of the story. But it, it is honestly kind of frustrating listening to all these cases where it's like, it, it it really should make it more clear that you have to read or watch F9. Like they're setting up that he's making out with his commanding officer and that's being kept secret for obvious reasons. Like even, uh-huh. you wouldn't want that going about a ship for like just the obvious reason. Yeah. And like the weird thing is Tobiah then has to shield Bernadette from seeing that because he knows she has a crush on Kinkado, but she doesn't, but also does. Ber- there was some weird there was some weird character dialogue earlier on that I think got dropped uh that that idea got dropped because it doesn't come up again or at least I hope it does Ber- Bernadette just has a crush on everyone she talks to I can only assume because she gets the exact same blush texture put on yeah she, every time she talks yeah. to a human being um, <laughs> she could just be very timid or whatever I think that's I think that's the intent it that's, doesn't that's come how, on that way well I, I think the intent is she's supposed to be timid, but <laughs> she's like, oh my, so many strong heroes. When, when the first two times are talking to men she's attracted to, it does not necessarily come off that way every other time it's used, but I can, I can see that. She's surrounded by so many hot guys, okay? It's and very, women. very, That's very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> you, you only had one, and now you're like, ooh, who's this? 
Crap, yeah, it's, now I've got two. It's very, it's very much the case of I read it in the more charitable sense, but I understand why Matt read it in the less charitable sense because if you know, not that's not invalid. Shows up yep. in a joke about her being attracted to him is the thing. Like it comes off. It, there is a moment where uh, Captain Barra is like, all right, uh, I'm not going to put you kids at risk anymore. It was honestly pretty bad that I was doing that anyway. Both of you go back to Earth, but I'm invested in the conflict. Well, explicitly, she says that was the only reason I would have allowed uh, Tobiah on my ship. I don't believe in child soldiers. And I'm like, hold on. I know Gundam. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you, you're not in line with the rest of the universe on this opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, it has been decades since the one year war, okay? Decades. And, the, and to be fair, those children are grown up now. Yeah, I was going to say, and to be fair, Barra was a child soldier at one point, so. You're right. If the war goes on for long enough, they're no longer child soldiers. <laughs> that's, that's how the preparation the sees it. Ends the rules. But but she's like, look, you did the you did the spy mission, and honestly, that was a bit much for my morality anyway. So uh, go home, kid. But I'm invested. Call me later. Did I mention my At parents least... are dead, and my aunt and uncle, while they'd miss me, probably wouldn't miss me that bad because they've got my cousin. And I'm like, weird take, but okay. The way the way he phrases We're... that is such a like <laughs> child's perspective. I think it's a good character moment. Uh -huh. for By him. the way, I'm available. Call me later. Yeah. By the way, if someone wanted to adopt me and be my new mommy, I'm like, ooh, given how you've been characterized, Captain, that's probably. Um... Yeah. At least we're sending Bernadette. We're sending Bernadette home, right? Right. Right. Okay. So Bernadette, you can go back on the resupply ship, and uh, I guess we're going to go attack Io now. Have fun with that. What do you mean Bernadette isn't anywhere on the supply ship? Oh. <laughs> It was just there. Before she technically wasn't a stowaway, now she is actually a stowaway. She's quite skilled at it, honestly. Also, also, uh, I'm so glad that the reveal about her character is is coming up relatively soon because me here between my Gundam knowledge and the spoilers I had already heard about it, uh, me making jokes about her being the obvious space-noid princess might have come off as me knowing spoilers if it weren't for the fact that uh, they do just explain exactly I mean what's going on. <laughs> She's a mysterious girl in a Gundam series. She's a space noid princess. Yeah. I'm never going to get another chance to say this. I'm just going to say this right now. Uh, probably not even this manga's fault. Uh, Bernadette looks like the cover of a how to draw manga book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there are a good number of characters who do have a lot of cases like that. It's the blush texture. It really doesn't give her any. Uh, it doesn't do her any favors in that regard. Yeah. I mean, even Cecily has that sometimes, too, is the thing. And, and like, you know, I mentioned that I had heard that Crossbone Gundam was a lot sillier, like, like more, more goofy. And that was sort of like a, ooh, maybe it's bad and I can pretend it doesn't exist. I think the art style also is, it's like a step removed from Double Zeta and uh, the original the Mobile Suit Gundam. It, it, it gets better is the problem, like when we get to Volume 3. But like the weirdest thing it doesn't get better for the characters who were introduced in one and two. They stay on model. It's the side characters who get added who are much better looking. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, th this was very strange for me because this is actually the first Gundam manga that I've read. Uh, as I said earlier, I've seen a lot of the uh, anime and uh, particularly this feels very true to the Universal Century art style. 
except kind of Saturday morning cartoony. It's like if Bill Watterson drew Gundam. <laughs> it's sort of why I called out better than that. <laughs> it's sort of yeah. why I called out the original MSG in addition to Zeta, uh, Double Zeta, because like Double Zeta will like you know have gags where like characters will like go off model and like the eyes will like they'll fall and the eyes stay in place, like that. That's sort of like classic cartoony sort of. Uh, aesthetic to it for its uh levity scenes but like it really does feel like it's trying to harken back to the time period of the original msg and the art didn't bother me but i do see why i do see why someone would complain about it because it feels like it's almost gundam to me the attack on io is commencing and they are uh sailing down onto the moon and tobiah has a a uh, flashback moment of uh, the fight with Lieutenant Burns and uh, talking about how these harsh conditions, this need for this uh, terrible authoritarian government, these are the consequences of humanity's migration into deep space. And he's like, my parents were space colony builders. They honestly believed that uh, space colonization was a net good for humanity and improvement to our future and i believe in that i I hold that same belief so that's why i he's like so determined to go and uh continue this struggle like which you know i i uh, you know throughout most of this reading i was like oh yeah he's stock factory gundam protagonist this actually uh made me go from yeah he's doing this because he's the gundam protag to oh i actually feel like he has an honest justification now and i kind of vibe with it yeah i i i really want to make the joke of um uh you can be in space and not be a nazi that's an option too and like you know, breaking it down to its barest levels, that is kind of uh, where it comes from. But like, you know, we've mentioned multiple times that he's a very stock Gundam protagonist, but like he's he is a trope that fits in with the series as a whole. And, you know, he's growing into his own character over the course of the story. And this is the scene where he really starts to like, you know, like I mentioned, they, they do a good job of balancing Kaneko and uh, Tobiah as as basically dual protagonists. And this is the mm-hmm. part where you really start to see that Tobiah is absolutely a protagonist of this story in his own right. Because the yes. story definitely is framed from his perspective, but it really does feel like we should be following Kaneko until this moment. But then we have the attack on the IO military base, and I actually really liked this action sequence. Most of the action sequences I was uh, mad to, I don't know what's going on, these, uh, these speed lines aren't helping. I also liked the attack on the Death Star. <laughs> it is very much the attack it's, on it's the death exactly star. the same plot points <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's the attack on the death star except with mobile suits which honestly i'm yeah. about i want i want that animated main crux of their uh attack plan is that the mother vanguard will serve as distraction and they will drop off a mobile suit team to go and actually like infiltrate and break the line of defense and for the most part this is going okay until they run into the bone wheels from dark souls yeah i'm gonna go on record i thought these uh mech designs were stupid (laughs) okay so these mech designs are stupid and they i i find them annoying so don't let anyone ever mistake uh me for uh defending the designs themselves 
but from a like franchise perspective, these are a very obvious predecessor to an equally stupid design from Victory Gundam. So for continuity's sake, I actually liked seeing this like earlier prototype. It's one of those cases where like I hate the I hate the wheel mobile suits from Victory Gundam. They're stupid, and these are equally bad. But you know, it's like this is like Victory Gundam did already exist by that point, so like you know, writing in this predecessor, it's like, this is what got developed into that. I, I did like that, my my lore nerd perspective. I love the development of mobile suits. It's one of my favorite things in Gundam. Yeah. Uh, I just looked at these and I immediately had trauma flashbacks to the Graveyard of the Giants. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> or the we, the we get a bunch of cool action scenes where they fight these wheeled guys because uh, the entire squad mm -hmm. is actually there. Uh, we get introduced to all the main characters in their Gundams, and uh, Tobiah actually gets uh, stuck in one of the stolen... Um, Jovian mobile suits, yeah. Which looks like the the mech that, um, from Gurren Lagann, like the... I was gonna say, <laughs> it's just the Digoran, because it's got the giant blade nose. Yeah, it is literally just a head with two arms and legs, and its entire face becomes an axe head. And it's yeah. the actual design of the mech is hurl yourself at the enemy and hope the axe connects, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah, it's just the Digurin, and I kind of love it for that. Welcome, welcome to 40% of the designs in Victory Gundam. There are good Victory Gundam designs, but there were some real stinkers in there too. I, uh, I, I love how Tobiah doesn't get an action scene and he complains about it. No one's even noticing me, and like. Uh, Kenkido doesn't even have the heart to tell him it's probably because you look like the enemy and they think you're a friendly target, but whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's the equivalent of giving your younger sibling, uh, the player two controller that's not plugged in. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they managed, they managed to use it to their advantage because that, that was also the intent, but there is the moment of, uh, here, here's Tobiah, like, I can't do my protagonist -y moments because no one's shooting at me. And it's like, yeah, that was kind of the point. <laughs> well, well, here's your chance, Tobiah, because a mobile armor rises from the magma, and it's got bits, so it's doing uh, new type things. Reveal that you are a new type now as you destroy the bits. Because the old man guy had been like, I used to be an old a new type back in the day. And I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> I think that you could be a new type. He claims that he fought in the one-year war and defeated multiple Rickdoms in a ball, and I'm like, dude, you're not 70 years old. Life-extending technology <laughs> is not a thing that's ever been established in the Gundam universe up to this point yet. And like, <laughs> I believe it if you were a Jagan and you and you fought in the uh, second Neo-Zeon War, that's believable, but it's also significantly less impressive, so... But anyway, uh, they, they have the epic volcano battle against the mobile armor, which was pretty cool. I, I liked that one. Yeah, you get the classic, the new type pilot is the only one who's able to track the movement of the bits because they're so small, like you can't lock onto yeah. them. I'm going to reiterate my point from earlier. It uh, felt like an 80s toy commercial for me. It was like, here's a bunch of cool action figures and smash the geometric shapes. Cool. <laughs> yep. Also, lava exploding. Like, yeah. yeah. This was the most that, in my opinion. Uh, but they do uh, defeat the mobile armor, which opens up a hole in the defenses. Bera is still being uh, kind of, uh, she's in a defensive posture and uh, doesn't want to, you know, fling the mothership at the enemy line. So 
Um, <laughs> the sub captain just decides to kamikaze the ship into I, the base I against her scene. orders. Yeah, I hate I'm not this a fan scene of this so much. I hate any scene where it's just like, why don't we just hurl our main like like headquarter vessel into the enemy? Like the like I hate it whenever fiction does that. Like, but our ship's the biggest. If we just ram them, that's the best choice. I'm like. No, it's not, for obvious reason. Uh, good thing your ship didn't explode from ramming, uh, and then you just fire the broadside cannons because they're pirates. I'm, but like, I'm not... Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's, like, it's, it's just like, if that works so well, why do mobile suits exist? It seems like a much better source of resources to just create giant ships that ram each other. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. The thing that bugs me the most, is this is actually the rare case where having more context makes it worse, because ships in the Gundam universe are very famously fragile. The reason mobile suits proliferated was because it didn't matter how big your ship was, mobile suits could carry a gun that was basically a battleship cannon and shoot you point blank, so and you would thing. immediately destroyed. Here's the thing, Jacob. Did those ships have mastheads? Because clearly... <laughs> That's obviously, yeah, that's the extra structural support that ships that, needed. That, that stone statue of a woman is clearly... <laughs> it's a ramming look, prow. As much as I love a good ramming speed sequence, like, I do enjoy that sort of thing when, whenever, like, boats are involved in a story. This is, this is real <laughs> dumb. I, I like them in, like fantasy stories around boats and stuff i think the second you go to sci-fi if ramming works why the hell do you do any of the other cool yeah. things like yeah. mm -hmm. and there's also kind of the fridge logic thing of is there really such a lack of discipline in the crossbone vanguard that the sub captain thinks he can that the helmsman oh. thinks he can just do Don't this get me started on the fact that this is me thinking the entire like sub crew is just pretending that she's the captain because that's, yeah. that's how they've treated her at this point. They don't tell her that the, like, oh, yeah, no, those people are going to go live on a farm and back on Jupiter. No, we killed them. Like, we essentially yeah. killed them because we sent them to their deaths. We didn't do it, so we get to have clean consciences, but not really. It's... Yeah, uh, as much as I was defending the stuff with uh, Cecily Pryor, this scene is bullshit, and I was really not happy with it. Especially the way that she reacts to it, because she's okay with it, and that bugs me. Like, like the thing about the thing about like sending the people back to, and it's like they assumed that they get executed. It's like that—that's the more empathetic decision. Like, what are they gonna do? They can't keep them forever. That would be you know, tantamount to just spacing them anyway. So it's like, I, I, I would never, I would never criticize Sarah for at least trying to give them back. But all that other stuff about like her characterization in the F91 movie, it seems to go out the window when you add that scene with the subcaptain just being like, I'm just going to do this thing against your orders and not get punished for yeah. it. Yeah, her reaction I, just oh. like just nails home to me her crew does not respect her feels like this is a scene that was supposed to go in f91 somewhere but this isn't f91 like write this as its, it's own a, story please i knew this was connected to f91 i didn't know if it was prequel or sequel if it was a prequel then this could be a galvanizing thing where she uh has to you know harden her hold on the crew and you know prove that she is a captain capable of making strong decisions in battle it could be it could potentially be a good character building moment it's a sequel she should have done this already yep. 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter either way because the moment is essentially going like, I betrayed you. And she's like, oh, you're right. That's fine. You got results. That's all that matters. I mean, and I'm like, what a stupid thing for a captain to say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You put everyone's life at risk for, I mean, good thing it worked out, I suppose. Anyway, they're completing Star Wars and it gets more Star Wars the second you get inside the main base. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> President Dogate, we have got you cornered. Finally, surrender or we will shoot you. Hold on. Wait, is he in like some kind of weird glass dome? Shut up. I'm expositioning. And I'm like, there's something I want to point out that is at once really cool and also a pretty freaking serious problem because as Matt pointed out, the the shower scenes with Barra are dumb and paint her in a in a really negative light. So I get that like this connects to that in a in a negative way and in an unintended way. But one thing that I thought was really cool is they are constantly talking about on Jovian colonies about how important water is. And here's this guy who's in a giant tank of fluid. Uh-huh. Like, this is this is such an excellent illustration of, like, here's the fascist, like, living in luxury personally and then leveraging the desperation of everyone else for the resources that they're hoarding to galvanize them against an other, you know, for their own personal gain. Like, like that's, that's such a good way of... Um, of like like that's such a good use of a Gundam antagonist in the in the context specifically of this being a Jupiter colony. But then you think about the stuff with Sarah in the shower scenes and <laughs> also but, at, at some point Bernadette steals a car. Um, yeah, <laughs> she steals a car because she's because she was on the Mother Vanguard. It's it's like a one page scene that comes up later. I'm like, okay, cool. You did your like. You did your homework, I suppose. It, I feel justified with what happens, but okay. It... Yeah. Uh, so she steals the car. They're confronting uh, Dokite, and he's like, "You fools! I was a robot the whole time. There are nine other copies of me spread across the Jupiter sphere, and also the attack force is going to Earth." <laughs> By the way, did I mention my brain is a computer? I guess he Doctor Gerard. Oh my God! So okay. Uh, here here comes another Gundam rant. Okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so the thing that I saw, like, like I was reading this, and it, like, absolutely emotionally destroyed me because he's talking about, like, like what he did was he used the biocomputer to map his brainwaves onto uh, onto computers. Like, that's what he did. He, he specifically calls out the biocomputer, and I'm like, oh... Dr. Arno, please never find out about this because it will absolutely emotionally destroy you. Uh, like, <laughs> we see at the end of F91 what the biocomputer is supposed to be used for. And, like, in a lot of ways, what Crux does is technically, in a lot of ways, what another thing that the bio... Like, like if it wasn't a space Nazi... That would be a really good thing, you know, taking a taking a brilliant mind and preserving it for all time. It's not like a path to immortality or anything because it's still, you know, it's like your brainwaves mapped onto a computer. It's always going to be a facsimile and the real guy is out there somewhere. But preserving um, a mind uh, beyond death so that, you know, humanity will always have that resource is such a is such a brilliant uh, use of biocomputer but then it's being used by another space Nazi. Uh, oh, 
Come on, dude. Uh, he's like, and now I will also blow up the base. Ha 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 ha. You have five minutes, James Bond. <laughs> Hold on. Don't you have thousands of your own men here? I don't care. Tobiah, you try to like hack it. I'm going to go to the reactor and try to shut it down with my mobile suit. I know that probably won't work, but I got to do something. Bye. He barely okay. he gets to the reactor with 30 seconds to spare. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, good luck, King Kiddo. Okay, does anyone know the passcode to shut this down? Uh, the only person who would know the passcode would be someone close to the president, and his wife is already dead, so... Yeah, I will say I've been relatively defensive of, like, the Jovians' motivations. I think the big thing that um, I'm sort of like... And, like, this scene I was not the biggest fan of, but sort of the reason why I've been, like, forgiving on all the, you know, it's another Gundam space Nazi thing is if... If Crux wasn't so, like, hilariously, cartoonishly, overtly Nazi evil about it, I would understand why there'd be a bunch of people who would be like, I will die so that my family can go to Earth. But, like, he's giving he's giving villain speeches. Like, it wasn't a bridge too far to me because I'm a Gundam fan. I've seen a lot of space Nazis, but... <laughs> I've seen a space Nazi or two in my day. The but problem like, is his motivation isn't bad. Like, it's it's just he decides to do it in, like, the most Saturday morning cartoon way possible of, like, yes, I get all the water for me, but also Earth has a ton of water. I could give it to my people, and then they could give it to me. As, well, why? <laughs> why do I need this? The, the, way, the way I read it is that um, he... He just wants political power. This is one of those cases where, like, what Gundam usually leverages for its villains is, because, um, like, this is very similar to the, how the zombies work, where it's like, here are these people who have, who, like, have a need, and I'm going to play to that in, in such a way that, you know, I can get them fanatically loyal to me, and then, you know, be Nazis. You know, they, 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 you know, are self-destructive and, and violent and it descends from there. And that's why, you know, and, and this scene, this scene was the most overtly like Saturday morning cartoon villain level that uh, Crossbone has gotten so far. I mean, also because he's just like, here are the nine copies of my body that are scattered around. Like, it's like, here's a bunch of MacGuffins for the, like, it's just, okay, cool. This felt, this entire scene felt super Saturday morning cartoon. So his justification just added on top of that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's very much a case of, I understand why it wouldn't play. I'm predisposed to be uh, on board with what Gundam is doing. But yeah, no, I, I it, it stretched it for me too. I was not a fan of this scene either. It's it, it was it was almost entirely. I'm going to forgive you because I have love for Gundam, and this has been mostly good. But like, you're on thin ice right now, Crossbone. <laughs> it's like, all right, so uh, Kinkido's tied up in a fight, and we don't have anyone who is close to the president. I guess we're all just gonna blow up now, Bernadette. What are you doing here? Oh wait, passcode accepted. Stuff Bernadette. There was only five seconds left on the timer. Why did you wait so long? Sorry, I actually don't know how to drive a car. I, I, I stole it, but I, I it took a while. Anyway. Wait, hold on, Bernadette. Did you know your dad was going to blow up the entire thing? Why did you... St hold on. Why are you here then? You either know a lot more or a lot less than what you think's going on. See, actually, see, here's the thing. My name is actually Tatenef Dogate, and I'm uh, the president's uh, daughter. And um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, that makes 
<laughs> I mean, I think she even mentions this outright uh, later on that she wanted to um, she wanted to try to talk him down. But then once you hear the base's self-destruct sequence has been activated, playing over the loudspeakers over and over again. Uh, <laughs> In all fairness, even after this whole thing, she does say she still thinks her dad's a good person. He just yeah. is misguided at the moment. I'm like, I don't know if that's true, but OK, Bernadette. That's a that's a lot of faith that you have in your pops, Bernadette. I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but uh... Bernadette, have you seen that your father is a skeletal robot inside a tube of water of which he's made nine copies of himself and his brain is a computer? I Look, don't think he's a human being anymore. I, 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 I just I, I held on hope, OK? <laughs> I but, think he's cur he's currently like gotten rid of whatever conscious he um conscience he had and has replaced it with a like boot new fresh boot of like operating system nazi os like <laughs> look can i just help stop this please yeah okay i think that they uh imply that like the real one is still out there yeah okay. they say one of them is the real one and i guess he's not an evil nazi robot i don't know no um, it probably what it comes down to is he's just as much of an evil nazi robot as as his duplicates uh it's just you know I mean, to be fair, of course, the child who is a, a like early teenager is going to think, you know, that their parent isn't beyond saving. I don't think it's unreasonable for Bernadette to be like, uh, no, I, I still think he's good inside. I, I, I just I just think she's wrong. <laughs> so everyone manages to uh, get off of Io uh, after taking some time to repair the ship from the ramming sequence. That goes off pretty casually, I suppose. Well, it's isn't it implied because most of the military members stationed at the base basically defected, mm -hmm. um, which yeah, fair, they, when your commanding officer goes, I will blow all of you up to like spite my enemy. Um, yeah, they had a pretty big workforce to fix the entire thing. But um, I, there were a lot of them who were absolutely willing to sacrifice themselves, which is why I had a problem with how Nazi-ish his speech was. Because, mm -hmm. like, it, that sort of thing only works when your subordinates don't know how overtly evil you are. Like, that's that's the problem I had he with it. He broadcasted to everyone, I yeah. am evil and you don't matter to me at all. He should have been like, you see these people trying to harm our home? Like, that should have yeah, been but, what the rousing speech was. Yeah, exactly. But with that said, uh, like, even though a lot of them were still, like, at least kind of somewhat on the Jupiter Empire side. It was the situation where it's like, if we don't repair this ship, there's no way off of this rock in the middle of nowhere space. So we might as well repair the Mother Vanguard. It's the only way any of us are living and us dying now gains us nothing. Yep. Uh, so Bernadette, uh, Tataneth, whatever, Gundam characters and changing names. She is uh, being kept under uh, guard in the Mother Vanguard because, um, well, as it turns out, being the being a space droid princess does uh, tend to get you some flack from people. So there is a non-zero chance that uh, members of the Crossbone would uh, attack her for this. Man, my, my favorite scene is the captain going like, hey, are you evil? No, I believe you with all of my heart. If anyone disagrees with my authority as captain, they disagree with you. And then like, as if she's aware of her own situation. Actually, yeah, put some guards on her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Someone did just ram my ship without my permission. Someone might just kill her. Yeah, we're, we're going to prevent that. Yeah, this, but, is, um, this, is, this is the millionth case of 
the the big thing is and crossbone doesn't tell you well actually crossbone does kind of mention this but uh cecily was in the exact same situation that bernadette was they do the same thing they always do with her is they casually mention something and it doesn't have the same weight yeah this is also when we get the second scene of um her going the other to shower her, scene her captain bathroom with a giant tub big enough for two people not gonna lie this sounds like my ideal bathroom it is a very nice bathroom, and it's so creepy <laughs> because not it's not creepy. The opening thing is her going like, "Ah, oh, you have such lovely skin. Such is the joy of youth." And I'm like, they're both naked in the bathroom. I'm, I'm just, just saying the fact that she kind of did it to herself like eons ago and was just like, "Ah, oh, skin is still so tight. I could still pass for 20." She's just obsessed with skincare. She is. <laughs> for but for it's me, still... that makes it less creepy that... and more like. Like, so, more just her character. I, that, if I didn't have that context, I probably would think it was creepy. She might just say that to everyone she happens to be in the bath with, which I, is creepy in its own right. I, I, but, I, will, I will give my full explanation. I mostly think this scene is creepy because they do a lot of, like, weird... These people must be, like, constantly walking around this bath in circles because they are constantly getting, like, different angled shots for fan service. And to justify that, these characters have to just be following each other and, like, holding... It's so weird to think they're having this conversation while she's essentially just constantly, like, stroking her. Yeah, it's it. I I, I am not a fan of when these sorts of because this is exactly the kind of fan service that it takes you out of the moment. It is it, the problem is they're having a serious conversation during this. Yeah, it's it, and it's completely incongruous. Though I will also mention that uh, just because uh, uh, Jay brought up Barra comment earlier on in the first bath scene, I read that and I'm like, Barra, you can't be older than thirty. I'm looking this up on the wiki. <laughs> She's twenty eight. <laughs> I could pass for 20. Yes, of course you could, because you're still in your 20s. You're 28 years old, and you flirted with a 15-year-old boy. We're just going to over that bit. <laughs> and a 15-year-old anyway. girl. <laughs> anyway, so Lieutenant Burns joins the miniboss squad. Yeah, basically. Tobiah was ready to blow up the Mother Vanguard to protect uh, uh, Bernadette. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, yeah, because he breaks into her room while she's under guard and basically just like, hey, do you want to escape? I'll blow up the ship to well, create a distraction. No, what, what, he, what he actually says is he, he, he opens the thing because he wants to see her and, and, and she's like, why are you in the vents? And it's like, yeah, I had to remove all the bombs I placed around the ships if the captain was about to torture you for information. You did what? I'm, I'm sorry, you placed bombs around the ship? Don't question. Wait, I'm sorry, that's a very weird throwaway line for the protagonist to say. <laughs> yeah, I, he, got me, he got me off guard with that one, too. I didn't Wait, expect I'll, him to have actually gotten that far. You were just saying, like, a chapter ago that you were really on board with not killing anybody? You uh, really changed your tone because you like a girl. Oh, he's a 15-year-old boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He is a 15-year-old boy. This is true. We'll change uh, my entire personality if it gets a girl to notice me. <laughs> but, um, so it's like, huh, so, uh, miniboss squad, uh, bombs on the ship. What is this all leading to? Oh, oh, Zabine's being evil? Zabine's being evil. My yeah. uh, Zabine does his reveal, and my boy with his long hair and his eye patch, and I'm just like, Zabine, you heard the phrase one day, Yas Queen Slay, and took it in the complete wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just sitting here like 
this exact tactic is what he shot one of his subordinates for in F91. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm I'm going to take the Spacenoid Princess hostage and take over the ship and surrender the ship to the Jupiter Empire so that I can slowly insinuate myself into their government and create Cosmo Babylonia again. His plan makes no sense. It really doesn't. His plan is so stupid. He's going to take the princess hostage so that he could, because if he returns the princess, they will like him. I understand that much. That does not get him to the next goal of his place, which is being placed in the leadership of such an organization, but never mind. He then goes, I want to reinstate Cosmo Babylonia and bring um, the captain on board because I've forgotten her name that uh, Crossbone says. <laughs> Bera. I want Bera to be the new queen. She doesn't want this at all, but she will learn in time that she wants to be queen. And my interpretation of her character at this point was like, you know, she might actually just be convinced. I don't know. Um, but I'm just like, why would Jupiter want her to be the new queen? Why are they just not going to kill you? Like they do all of their civilians constantly. Stop asking questions. No, that's a very important question because his plan hinges on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so it, it's so frustrating because like like there are other elements like Zabine was Barra. bodyguard in uh, F ninety one and the way that they establish him in that movie like like he, like he's like the honorable rival character like he's not a shark clone he's not supposed to be a shark clone he was way more interesting than that but the it's like the, he has this all the same motivations but now they just flipped the evil switch. They flipped it to the on position. Also, yes. also, my boy Zabine does not understand what the point of a hostage is because he's got one. And Tobias just like, I'm going to stop you. And he's just like, I've got a hostage that I can't, I can't actually kill her because I need her. In fact, she's probably more your hostage at this point because <laughs> she's valuable to me and me alone. My plan is actually really stupid and doesn't make sense. Ugh. Good thing I did. Good thing I didn't get rid of all those bombs. Tobias, why did you have bombs on the... You know what? Never mind. He kicks Sabine's ass. Well, no, I'll headbutt him because I'm a shonen protagonist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does have that energy to it. it. It's very much the case where the way that Zabine works in F91, whether or not he would actually betray the, the protagonists would actually have been in question. Because you would have known that he has this this like dark ideal in him, but is otherwise a good and honorable man. And it's like, will that idealism cause him to honorably pick the wrong side, basically? Whereas this Sabine is, ha 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 ha, I am a villain because I wear an eye patch and have long hair. Like, that was the problem, too, because the Sabine up to this point, I was buying that interpretation. Like, he is a dark person who like values results over people's feelings, especially when those feelings are actively not leading to anything. And in fact, maybe detrimental because he's just like, if those pilots are just going to be killed anyway, we can just kill them in the ships. It will be easier. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right in this exact situation. But then he goes, by the way, I'm evil and also don't have long-term planning experience. And I'm like, God damn it. Well, yeah, there went the one thing I still liked about this manga. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so frustrating. Mm -hmm. 
I and and you know all the times I've said like here's a problem with Crossbone that's something to do with the fact that F91 wasn't a full length series. I can't even justify uh, this one with that. I don't know why the Sabine is the way he is. I can only assume during our discussion. I will have one other thing to say about Sabine, but the only thing I can think of is that like there's some story there that like like Zabine on um, Zabine turning evil in what the F91 series should have been but like I don't even know how he'd get from point A to point B it's frankly I'm at a lot of points in Crossbone where I feel like if someone said I have a character reason for why I've acted this like weird way I'd buy it but like it would come with a justification I don't feel it's earned in a lot of places yeah like, and and it's very much not earned because it doesn't do a good job of establishing the context of things like of F91. A person just saying it, it's like, yes, technically you established it, but... One person telling you a thing comes off so differently, though. That's then, just like, that's how that's how this, this person is... who worships her views her. You view that negatively then because you assume he's having an elevated opinion of her, not... This is literally why we have the writing rule of show, not tell. That's for the stuff where they do mention things in passing, because again, they don't mention Thera is a, is a new type anywhere in this. So like, how are you supposed to know that Kaneko is actually the one who's wrong about how perceptive Cecily is? We don't know. The point is that Zabine is like, ah, yes, my friends in the Jupiter Empire, thank you for arriving. I have taken over this ship, and I'm now getting my ass kicked by children. What the okay, so maybe I haven't quite taken over the ship yet, but I'm working on it. This is my big proof to you that I'm valuable. Please help. Buddy, yeah. that's not... <laughs> He's so much more competent in F91. He was actually threatening where, in F91. Where is that Yas Queen Slay energy? It's yeah. like, yes, I love the queen, so I'm going to slay everyone. Like, come on. But then it's like, okay, don't worry. We're sending in the quirky miniboss squad. They, they, are as, they are an attack type, a defense type, and a speed type. And they're going to attack the Gundam because they excel in their one point above what the Gundam excels in. And by working as a team, they can defeat it. And their character designs are all a grade higher than the main cast. Like, work got yep. put in on them. Well, actually, mainly the main girl. She has a lot of work put in on yeah. her to look, like, nice every time she shows up. Geary, I think her name is? I think. I just know she has a ponytail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ponytail girl. Uh, cool fight happens. Uh, it involves Kinkido in the X1, and uh, Tobiah also shows up and helps uh, win the fight. They use the Minofsky particle, uh, basically super accelerator, to uh, heavily damage the Jupiter Empire ship, forcing it to retreat. Uh, and it's like, okay, so... Uh, well, we're back on that chase to go after the Jupiter squad heading to Earth. And then Karash shows up just like, ha ha, I, I have arrived once again. I have now kidnapped Bernadette. You know I'm in a mobile suit, right? I have grenades. Oh no, my hand. Man, 1v1's a mobile suit and wins. <laughs> Karash is the best villain <laughs> in this entire manga. I, I oh. will not be taking questions. Man. It is the situation where it's like, they are far formula type mobile suits. So like handheld explosives would actually do something to them, but it is also, he he's so out of place in a Gundam story, which I, mean, which I mean, like it's one of those situations where it's like, it's funny and I'm not going to let it ruin it. But like, if there weren't other things about Crossbone that I was enjoying, 
I'd have a lot less of patience with him than I do. And I, uh, I, I think this last fight, uh, I've got a scene I want to talk about in particular. Uh, it made me stop reading, go find Jay and ask, did this stupid thing I just saw actually happen? <laughs> um, it was when one of the crossbones, I believe the one piloted by Kinkido, is in a fight with a Gundam and is like being held back. And the other one is some distance away. So he kicks and then launches his dagger from within his foot? Yes. Yes. They established that they had those. He's got a pirate boot dagger. Yes. That's a thing you build into a mech. Why not? Yeah. Okay. They they had already established that he had that in the first chapter. Yeah. I'm just. Uh, That's also in the technical files as well. The concept of it existing is stupid. I'm sorry. I should clarify that. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't need that. Yes, it does. The, this exact the situation re- showed why it did. Exactly. Why it did this exact situation it. would be exactly as fine if you just had, like, a projectile. This was a full dagger you could wield because he pirate. But it was I, I, don't, I don't see what the problem is. Yeah, It was also yeah, it was cool as hell. Yeah. I said it was stupid, yeah. I, this was where my, you're really leaning into the pirate thing Matt, was too much Matt, for me. Matt, you're uh, talking to people who also like knives and think knives are cool. You're yeah. right. I, that was my problem. <laughs> do like knives <laughs> oh but anyway at long last this brings us to the end of our reading it's technically on a cliffhanger but uh crossbow six volumes um yeah yeah this was a good place to stop this was this was a good amount of reading for uh if you want to i, I mean you're definitely you're definitely probably before this point but this is definitely a good uh section to see um, how you're feeling about it and if like you know the pirate aesthetic is too much if you're not enough of a Gundam fan that you don't have all this context you're probably gonna want to you know it's like it, it's like if, if you find any of this appealing but you're completely lost by all the character motivations you know I like it's kind of like watching fate you know what god damn it that it's bad you're right <laughs> <laughs> all right so favorite character and favorite fight well i said earlier that my favorite character was barra specifically because she fit into a uh character type that i am a fan of you know again that being the uh character who comes from like uh privilege and power and it's like i have privilege and power surely i can use this with my uh good heart and ideals to fix the ills of the world oh no the ills of the world are very complicated and this is going to prove very difficult oh no you know then the question just becomes do you have the strength of heart to do this and uh, I would be interested to see how that uh, panned out. Again, perhaps if this was not a sequel, uh, it would be a stronger vote. But nah, mm. whatever, I, I I can I can live with the state uh, I have a I have consumed it in. As for favorite fight, again, uh, the mobile armor fight on IO that was uh, definitely my favorite. It had some uh, it had a lot of moving parts in the way that makes uh, mobile armor fights fun. It had uh, bits and new type. BS. It was a good time. Uh, Jacob, favorite character in fight? In a lot of ways, I think I think probably it'd be a toss-up between uh, Tobia and Kaneko. Probably leaning a little bit more toward Kaneko. Tobia is, like, growing into uh, being a protagonist, but he's not quite there yet. I've always been a big fan of Seabook from F91, and again, it's one of those situations where his carry- character carries over really well. Um, so, you know, it, like, like, catching up with a character whose story got cut short because of production nonsense uh, was really nice. Uh, though I, I liked most of, like I, I mentioned the, the, the teacher spy guy does not feel like a Gundam character to me and the cases where the, the space Nazi leader went a little bit too Saturday morning cartoon, but largely I like pretty much all of the characters. 
Um, even the ones that bug me are really more, it's a, they're characters I like that I get frustrated because I like them mm -hmm. when they're doing it right. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I, I if I had to pick one, I'd definitely go with Seabook. Uh, Favorite fight would probably be the mobile suit battle portion of the attack on Io, um, because um, that and the uh, Crossbone Vanguard's first assault um, uh, in the in the very first chapter, uh, like before uh, Tobia steals a mobile suit to to fight them. Um, I, I felt like those sequences, those mobile suit battles, they were well paneled. Because, like, the, the, the stuff that was mentioned about some of them not being paneled that well, yeah, I see it too. And there were some places where I got lost, like, because of uh, either, like, the geometric shapes or the um, action lines being too much. But um, those were the first mobile suit battle. I have read a Gundam manga before, but it was the Edquil uh, wing manga that is the backstory episodes that got cut from for production issues from wing so there weren't mobile suit battles in it the mobile suit battle portion of the io fight was uh a really cool uh, uh mobile suit combat sequence and uh, i was really wondering how they'd tackle mobile suit combat all right uh jay favorite character and fight favorite character was difficult to decide um based on the fact that this is an art all so good <laughs> No, this is an art style I don't <laughs> typically gravitate towards. That's fair. Um, so I guess going off of character merit, I would go with um, Tobia, I guess, because he's the protag. The and You're supposed to like him? I guess I'm supposed to like him. I, I'm, just going, <laughs> I'm just going by personality here. Um, Barra, I kind of was in the same boat as like Matt, you know, for, for better or for worse, she came off as very maternal, though I do understand her motivations to um, kind of promote um, understanding and empathy. Um, but I don't really have a hard favorite, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, Sabine for being Sabine, but that's <laughs> completely different. Not related. Um, like the the reasons for liking the character is probably not what the manga wanted. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, that being said, um, I didn't get to really touch on this point later earlier, but this is for context. This is my first um, Gundam manga I have read, and drawing back on my prior exposure to Gundam, kind of what drew me into the series were the action scenes, which. I feel we're kind of undersold in the manga. It's just the formatting. Mm. So I can't really say I had a favorite fight, I guess. The motion. The motion is the is motion. Important. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Um, I like seeing giant robots fight each other, but it has to be in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> 3D. Or 2D. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's my answer. I don't really have a favorite fight. Yeah, that's fair. All right. And Matt. Uh, can I say least favorite character? Because it's Barra, because I've said everything I hated about her. <laughs> um, I was going to say favorite character, and it was going to be Zabine, and then that last arc happened. So now I don't have anything. Um, I guess Barra's parrot. I liked her parrot because her parrot would just squawk <laughs> annoying Gundam fan things. <laughs> but why does why does Cecily have a parrot? No one's huh? explained that. You know, Shrastable? Because, because they're pirates. They're pirates. They're pirates. Why does the parrot shout fourth wall breaking nonsense that it probably shouldn't know? Oh, that's actually something I, I, I looked up on the wiki. Apparently the parrot is a robot and the fan theory is that, that that's actually uh, Amaro's Haro robot remade into a robot parrot. 
that's a fan theory. So do with that what you will, but completely <laughs> disregarded. Okay, uh, it's a fan absurd. theory, so it's stupid. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> favorite mobile suit stroke mobile armor of the manga of what we read. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I really did like the 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 Gundams, the X1 and the X2, uh, because I love the capes. Uh, I like, yeah, the the big X crossbone thrusters took up a lot of uh, space in the visual design, uh, but at the same time, <laughs> and it looks cool. Yeah. That's my answer. Uh, reverse order, Matt. Um, uh, which one sparked joy? Uh, I thought a lot of the villains were actually kind of bland looking, but I remember at one point there was one that looked like a xenomorph, and I thought that looked really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, man. Uh, that's another case where it's like, oh, I can see how this turned into something from Victory Gundam. I, I really wish they'd fought that Xenomorph more head on, but it kind of didn't happen. It just showed up in like the initial, these are all the villains. And then uh, I think it yeah. was in some action got, scenes later, but not. yeah, we, we, we saw it fighting uh, Crossbone X1 in passing, but it didn't get like a it didn't get a big scene. It, it got like a, hey, I'm a main villain, and then didn't get the, like, one-on-one -on -one yeah. fight. So it's like, yeah. I liked its design, though. It looked cool. Indeed. Uh, Jay, favorite mobile suit? Um, the X1. Hell yeah. Uh, Jacob? Uh, and that's going to be a third vote for not just the X1, but I actually like both of the Crossbone Gundams, um, mostly because I really like, uh, again, I love, I love, like, the uh development of mobile suits and how like one leads into the next because i can see all of the ways that the crossbone is an extension of the f91 you know like the the faceplate moving up um and the uh venting the heat and the psycho frame light coming off of it things like the faceplate going up is a really good example of this is something that it doesn't need to convey to a new audience member because it's not strictly speaking that narratively important like if the bio computer in the x1 and the x2 comes up they're going to explain what the biocomputer is. But for me, who knows about the development of um, the F91, I'm like, oh, that thing's got a psycho frame. It's got a bi it's, it's biocomputer equipped and it's uh, about, it's, it's uh, a little over 15 meters tall. That thing is based off of the F91. It's some good nerd stuff. Yeah, I, I really like, I think the X looks good from the front. Um, it being visually noisy in the back, I, I don't disagree, but like, you know, things about how like they, the, those big, like that big X is, it's a way of, uh, counteracting the gravity of Jupiter. And that's how they can have a like standard style mobile suit in a, in a very different environment. So I, I really loved the, uh, the design of, um, the crossbone Gundams. Jake, you had uh, two quick theories, I believe, on the tra trajectory of the plot. Places the story could go in the future, and they're also very much Gundam nerd things. So um, one of the things I'm thinking of is, like, is the Jupiter Empire going to turn into the Zanskare Empire? Because I know one thing that that I always found weird about Victory Gundam is that there's never an explanation on where they come from. And, like, the secret evil empire in Jupiter being the origin of Zanskare would actually be an interesting way of tying it into Victory Gundam. The other thing I'm thinking of, and this is actually something I was thinking about right before we started recording, not that this, not that this justifies the way that his character is working because there are other ways that this could have been foreshadowed to make it actually make sense, 
But I'm starting to wonder if Zabine is a cyber new type and he's going crazy, that might explain some of his actions. So I feel like they might use that as an excuse later for why he goes off the deep end. That should have, if that's the case, it should have been established in a more, you know, parsable way. Him basically reading uh, Tobia's mind, um, you know, it's like Tobia's immediate reaction is like, is this guy a new type? What's going on? And it's like, if he's a cyber new type, which we know Cosmo Babylonia did cyber new type experiments because of Iron Mask, there is a possibility that the reason Zabine is as so loyal to Cosmo Babylonia and like the ace mobile suit pilot of the original Crossbone Vanguard was because he was also cyber new type experimented on. And for those of you who don't know, the long and short of it, cyber new type, bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, the penultimate question. Well, actually, the ultimate question, the rest of it isn't really questions. Uh, would you continue reading? Uh, for me, I honestly think I'm going to need to go read F91. Uh, other than that, I would afterwards, but uh, I, 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 I go watch a movie first. Uh, Matt, how about you? I got about halfway through this when I came to the realization that this was a manga for Gundam fans. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt I, I had felt incredibly lost a lot of times. Like I had like serious complaints about this that I was not understanding the plot. Um, I didn't like the action and I came away from the end of this going like, yep, that was definitely a plot. It was something. Um, and then when Zabine was the final nail in the coffin, I'm like, OK, cool. The thing I cared about, they clearly didn't and just threw away. I'm done. Uh, so I, I would not continue reading. <laughs> Yeah, that's entirely fair. That's fair. Uh, Jay, how about you? Um, so it sounds like I'm also going to have to read F91. So, yeah, guess I'll have to wait on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, track down uh, the movie uh, first. And uh, Jacob, this is uh, <laughs> actually like important question, would you? Yeah, that's that's sort of the interesting question, because I have been pretty harsh, especially about the back half of um, our reading section. Like, obviously, I'm a big Gundam fan. I kind and and I've mentioned I kind of wanted it to be bad, but the thing is, I am I have been especially in talking about it with people who don't have the context. There has been a lot of places where Crossbone has very severely disappointed me because it should be more clear about its context. It should do a better job of establishing its context. But with that said, me in the position of having all of that context from having seen it all in sequence they were not serious problems for me. It annoys me. I wish it was better. I wish it didn't have that flaw. But the flaw doesn't impact my enjoyment. And man, this, this, is, this makes me want an F91 full-length series even more. And I'd love to see a full-length uh, Crossbone animated series. I'm definitely going to keep reading because... You know, like, obviously, they're pro like, I I'm, I'm never going to defend Zabine. Even if my theory about him being a cyber new type is right, they did not adequately establish that. But, you know, I'm, I'm still very invested. Um, I, I love CNC book, um, you know, actually get a full series like he deserves. Um, I'm annoyed that Cecily, they hit rewind on her character development, but, you know, maybe she'll get back to where she's supposed to be. And uh, I, I'm definitely uh, pretty uh, heavily invested in... Uh, the series from uh, largely carried on my prior knowledge. And with that, uh, it brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you everyone. Once again, for tuning into the over manga cast. 
Uh, remember to uh, follow us on all of the social medias where we are at Over MangaCast, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can comment on individual episodes there and uh, also enjoy the promo clips. Uh, we have a lot of fun making those, uh, uh, dragging uh, or uh, finding the the spicy bits from the various episodes. And uh, I know Matt has fun with the uh, captioning on them. Some of my favorite moments from our episodes. Indeed. Uh, we also greatly uh, appreciate uh, reviews on your podcatcher of choice. Indeed. Yep. And uh, make sure to tune in next week where uh, I believe, uh, Jay, this is a pick from you. Yep. We are reading uh, Chiha Yafuru. I do not remember where I received this recommendation, but we'll be reading chapters one through 19. Excellent. So make sure to tune in next Thursday for that. And we will see you all then. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. The bean wasn't a good character. <laughs> <laughs>